welcome to the 124th episode of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on March 25th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? I'm doing well, Brad. I have to be completely honest with you right now. I am going to be painting my nails through our entire recording today, but I want you to know this activity will not detract from my enthusiasm and discussion that I will bring to the show today. Well, there's only one question that leads me to, and of course it is, what color are you painting? Oh, I'm painting them... Let me give you the exact color name. It is Sally Hansen's Argan Oil Formula, which I bought at Target. The color is 460, which is called Oceans Away. And it is a, it's kind of like a medium kind of gray that's kind of bluey, very slightly lilac-y, but mostly a blue-gray, like a medium blue-gray. All right, all right. Are you doing your toes as well, or is that just a hands-only thing? Never. Always hands. That's it. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Is there a reason that you don't ever do your toes? Um, I just always wear shoes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't it's know. Interesting, it's interesting you say that, because uh, I, I was working with a guy, tough guy, real guy, you know, in shape, Straight, I've met his girlfriend, or at least, you know, straight presenting, who knows. Uh, you know, seemed like kind of a man's man kind of a guy. And uh, it was in a theater context, so he was uh, changing his clothes, and I was in the dressing room with some other actors. And I was quite surprised to see that this man's man tough guy, uh, when he took his shoes off, he had bright red toenails that were hidden inside of his uh, manly gruff work boots. And I'm <laughs> like, huh. Did not see that coming. I mean, well, no judgment. It's all it's all good, but uh, kind of caught me by surprise. But here's you. You're the opposite. All hands, no feet. Yeah, well, the thing that I think is kind of fascinating about, like, nail painting in general is, like, I mean, a lot of people, you know, would think of nail painting as, like, a feminine activity, which, I mean, I guess it is because, you know, like, I would, I would, I would go out on a limb and say that probably a lot more women paint their nails than men or a lot more female presenting people or feminine people or whatever you want to call it um, paint their nails than male presenting people. However, I mean, I don't know a lot of people that paint their nails. A lot of men that paint their nails or, or male presenting people that paint their nails. But almost all of the men I know who paint their nails are like, they're like, they're like, hardcore like punk rock like straight edge they're like in a band they you know they play bass in a screamo band or something so it's weird how like or maybe it's not weird i shouldn't say it's weird it's just interesting to me how like nail painting got kind of co-opted by like the hardcore like punk rock scene and that here i am i mean i do have like a mohawk and i am painting my nails but i wouldn't really consider myself like super punk rock or anything i mean i'm not i can play drums i can sing but i'm not in a band um but it's just, like, so that thing happens where it's, like, you have these, like, kind of, like, hardcore, like, straight-edge, like, manly, muscular men who, like, have their nails painted black because it's sort of that weird, like, co-oping of, I guess, like, punk rock culture or something like that. It's it's weird how, like, you know, communities take things that don't belong to them and then reappropriate it for what they want it to be rather than, like, what it was in the first place, I guess. 
Yeah, I've seen I've seen that, and I I know exactly what you're talking about. And that makes sense. You know, it's part of a look, or you're in a band, or something, or you know, you're you are are, are going for a certain kind of vibe or something. That makes sense. Um, I guess I yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think everything you said is true. I'm just trying to square it with this one guy where I'm like, I just. <laughs> don't understand why he had these like little candy apple red toesies and they were very cute very cute little you know well done uh i was just kind of i don't know i'll ask him i'll have to ask him about it in a very like i don't know non-threatening and non-judgmental way or something but I mean, anyway sure, well surely i would like to think that if his toenails are painted bright red that he would be like willing to talk about it if somebody asked like you know what i mean like if he I feel like if he didn't want to talk about it he wouldn't have them painted that bright of a color i might be wrong about that but you know, it's not something you do and then, you know, just play it cool discreetly or, you know, get offended if somebody asks. So surely if you were in a context with him or you asked him, he would be cool with explaining whatever it was going on. I, you were probably correct. You were probably correct. I will just uh, I will have to ask him uh, when other people are around and hope he doesn't punch me in the nose and we'll see. what happens. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, we're getting way off topic. This is something better discussed in banter. And folks, we have some banter for you. Today, not the usual banter. We don't talk about TV and movies. We talk about some pretty random stuff. I won't spoil it here, but if you do want more from us, remember that our usual banter section comes after the end of the game portion of the show. So listen to the games now. Wait for the closing music. And if you want some more random nonsense, keep listening. Um, Also, before we forge ahead with today's game topics, do want to give you a very big spoiler warning. (coughs) Excuse me. Also, I'll give you a cough. That's free. Uh-huh. Uh, the spoiler warning is for The Occupation. Uh, Corey mentioned it uh, in a brief sense last week. And I'm assuming he's back with in-depth spoilage from front to back because you probably have finished it. Is that correct? It's true. Not only have I finished it, I have started it again. Oh. So I'm back with more info. Okay. So this is a perfect time to give a initial spoiler warning. So please... We will keep the spoiler stuff to the very end of the show, so feel free to listen to our first couple of game topics uh, with no spoilers whatsoever. And then when we get to the final topic of the occupation, we will give you one more spoiler warning and we will let you know. uh, Turn off your sound, stop the recording, and uh, do not spoil yourself. If you do not want to be, if you don't care, then please feel free to listen on and we will just proceed as normal. Um, So I think that's probably it for now. I don't have any housekeeping. Do you have any housekeeping, Corey? Um, The only housekeeping addition I have is that the, as always, the show notes will contain the timestamps for everything we talk about and also when the spoiler section starts and when it ends. So if you do want to skip that part and come back for the closing and the banter and all that stuff, you can just check the show notes and it'll, I always put in there when the spoiler section ends, when we start like closing out the show and then when the banter starts. So you can refer to that as well. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, we do our best to not spoil, so hopefully that'll be fine for everybody. And I say let's go ahead with the actual game discussion. You ready, sir? I am ready. All right, we didn't necessarily choose who was going to lead off, but I think I will turn the floor over to you if that's okay. Uh, We have been playing a little bit of the Division 2 coming from Ubisoft. It is their open world, uh, I mean, vaguely post-apocalyptic sort of military-ish, Tom Clancy-ish shooter, (laughs) where it's meant to be a multiplayer experience. Uh, You and I and my wife finally got our schedules in sync. We got to play some yesterday. Hopefully we'll play some again this afternoon. Uh, We have have spoken about the original Division many times on the show. It's one of our uh, most often referenced group uh, games that we played together in the past. 
happy to dive in again and we got some time in so let's talk about that a little bit Corey, would you like to start us off uh sure i will take the wheel here um i feel responsible in taking the wheel here because technically i'm reviewing this for game critics um i hope that ubisoft is not just refreshing game critics every five minutes waiting for this review to go live because honestly I want to play kind of the whole thing with you guys before I review it because here, and to be completely frank, and I was telling Patrick this yesterday, I think I'm actually going to have a pretty hard time reviewing this game because there's like a big crux that comes with this game. So the division, like you said, it's kind of an open world squad tactical shooter, um, very similar to the first game, like alarmingly, like there are sequels that completely take games in a different direction. There are sequels that use, the original game is just a jumping off point to do something new. There are sequels that change the art style of a game, but leave sort of the gameplay intact. And then there are sequels that basically just give you more of what ex what came before. And The Division 2 is the last one. It's not really super innovative that I have seen so far um, from the original one, which is kind of like, it's kind of good, but it's also kind of bad. Um because, like, it's nice to have more of the same, but it's also just more of the same. Um, but my problem, or my my issue with The Division, and we can talk about this as we get into the weeds a little bit, is, so, I we you and I played some of the beta together and had a pretty good time. And then whenever you start The Division 2, the if for anybody that played the beta who hasn't played the real game yet, basically the beginning of the beta is the beginning of the game. Like, there's, like, one, like short prequel mission and then you start where the beta starts where you're kind of like going back to the white house and fighting your way up the white house lawn to take over the white house and then the white house becomes your first like big base of operations and uh so we i played that by myself and then i did the first story mission by myself this was after the beta um and then i you know i did that and i was like okay you know this is fine you know whatever and then I went back because uh, we were having a hard time kind of syncing our schedules because you and I have both been really busy and your wife has. And so like last week, I started playing a little bit of it by myself. And I was like, well, you know, I, I kind of want to, you know, get on this a little bit. I would kind of like to get the review done sooner rather than later. I'm trying to be responsible and everything. So I, you know, boot up the division and I start playing it by myself. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just knock out some side missions because I want to save the main missions for us to all do together. And I did like one side mission and by myself. And I was like, man, this is just dull. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's so weird. Like, I, I mean, I don't play a lot of multiplayer games, so I haven't really had this kind of experience, like, a lot in the past, but it's, like, whenever you and Gina and I are all three, we're all squatted up, we're playing together, we're doing missions, we're strategizing, I'm running in like a madman with a shotgun, and you guys have to heal me every 30 seconds because I'm an aggro idiot in that game. That is when I'm having a lot of fun. And I mean, yeah, like it's not anything like super new or super innovative or like, you know, it's not like nothing I've played before, but it's fun just to like squad up with you guys and have a game to play with people because I usually prefer, um, you know, single player story games that I play by myself. I'm not into multiplayer games. I'm super not into competitive multiplayer games, but I do like co-op and it's fun to play with you guys. So it's like a weird hot and cold thing where like when I'm playing it by myself, it's kind of dull. It's kind of hard. We were having a hard time playing with the three of us together. And like the game, I feel like from my single player experience, and maybe it's just with the side missions and not so much with the story missions, but whenever I was playing side missions by myself, I was having a really hard time and I was like dying a lot. And then I was just getting frustrated and bored. And I was like, well, I would rather just be playing this with 
with Brad and Gina, like this isn't really that much fun by myself. And then whenever I play with you guys, it actually is a lot of fun and it's still challenging, but it's fun and we get to like use our skills and use our different weapons and we all prefer different kinds of weapons and we all have different, um, like the backpack skills that you use, like the mines and the healing stuff. And, you know, we all have different ones. So it's cool to like use those all together and, you know, different missions and kind of like strategize in different ways. But it's just a weird experience because by myself, I don't really like the game that much. Like, I get it, but it's just not fun to play by myself. And when I play with you guys, it's a lot of fun, but I have to keep thinking about, like, the fact that it's just, like, pretty much, like, a copy-paste of the first game in a different setting. And it's fun with you guys, but it's just, like, not that great. Like, in and of itself, it's not that great. Like, the fun comes from playing with other people and not really from the game itself, which leaves me in, like, a tough position as a reviewer to balance that. And I'm sure the more I play, the more we figure it out, you know, my review text will come, you know, come to me as we play. But right now, I just have, like, a big question mark over my head when I think about what I'm going to do when I have to actually sit down and write all of these thoughts out on paper. Yeah, man, I hear you 100% and I I mean I think I was kind of the exact same way with the division one I reviewed um, the original division uh, when that came out and I had like basically the exact same mindset where it was like I was having a lot of fun playing with you and my wife uh, but I think it's just like a really boring game if you're <laughs> playing by yourself like it just is like it's really dull um, I think that it might be a little spicier if you're one of the people who likes to group up with randos like I haven't done any rando group ups. Um, I did a few with the first division and I had a couple good experiences, a couple not good experiences uh, just doing the, the PVE story mission stuff. And that was fine. Um, so I guess there's something there if you don't have any friends and just you just I guess just kind of play as like a, a freelancer or a gun for hire and join up with people and do that. That could be kind of fun, possibly. But yeah, I mean, I've often said on the show that if you have a game that requires other people to be fun, then you've got a bad game. And I think that's actually true. I think The Division is a bad game, but it is it is just the right kind of bad that when you have enough people to play, then it becomes fun, where it's like the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is is good enough where you're, you're dodging, you're taking cover, you're firing off your special skills. In this case, it's stuff like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going more offensive this time around, so I have a little machine gun drone that I can mount on places and it'll shoot at enemies for me. I also have like a flying a flying drone that I can send around the, the battlefield and like using those skills is pretty fun. I think it's pretty entertaining. Looking forward to unlocking some other stuff and giving it a shot. Um, but it's like it's like it gives you enough stuff to do and you have to be engaged at a certain level. Like you can't sleep and play through play through it because like you said we died like a bunch yesterday even like in the in the starting zone where i figured we would just like totally stomp all over the bad guys like we ended up like all of us at different times getting killed because we got flanked or because we just weren't looking at how many guys were flooding out of a certain door or whatever so like even in the beginning zone it was not that easy so you have to be engaged but you're not so engaged that you can't talk about stuff like we could do jokes or we could talk about you know whatever but it wasn't like super deep conversation and it wasn't super light gameplay so i think that the magic of the division is it it, it hits a kind of a, a strange middle zone where you're engaged but not too engaged and you're bored but not too bored and you're interested but not too <laughs> interested and you're just like totally in the middle with all those things and so it fits that profile perfectly um i would only want to play this in a group i don't i would never play it by myself but i really enjoy playing it like when we're playing together like i think it's really fun 
Um, but I do think the game does not. I mean, it is like you were you were totally speaking truth when you say this is like a copy and paste. I mean, I'm sure that the people at Ubisoft would be horrified to hear us say that. But like honestly, I couldn't really tell you the differences between Division One and Two, except for some of the skills are different. But that's basically about it. Like, I mean, different setting, but it doesn't really matter because you're still in an urban area and, you know, you're still running through the streets. You still got your backpack and your gun. I mean, it looks the same. Like, if you held up two screenshots of the Division 1 and 2 side by side, you would not be able to tell which one was which. <laughs> uh, I mean, literally, like, I'm not even joking. Like, you wouldn't know. Um, so I think it's just kind of a, a very odd duck where I think critically, I, part of me wants to be more hard on it because... I think it should be doing better. And, you know, like, perfect example. Uh, I'm a big story guy. I know you also are a big story guy. And in The Division 2, I could not even tell you what the story was. I don't even know who the bad guys are. I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going on. All I know is that there's a bunch of pips on the map and that we need to go shoot anybody that's at those pips. And that is literally what we do. We'll just sit in front of it and we'll just, like, shoot guys for two hours. And I couldn't tell you... I couldn't tell you the name of a single character in this game, dude. I literally could not. If you held a gun to my head right now, I would not be able to produce a single name of anybody. And I think that's terrible storytelling. It's a boring world. It's a boring story. Boring characters. <laughs> yeah. I See, this is like what... I mean, I don't want to pull a whole, like, woe is me because I get to review video games. Oh, my gosh. feel so sorry for me. But, like, whenever you think about, like, like, honest, like, journalistic integrity on reviewing video games, like... I would not be, like, I don't know what word I'm looking for here, but, like, I would not be amiss. That's the word I want to use. I would not be amiss to give this game, like, I don't know, like, a 6 out of 10, which seems low, but that's actually not that low, like, in the scheme of scoring. And saying, like, yeah, it's fun with groups, but it's not any fun on its own, and there's, like, no story, there's no, like, good characters, um... I mean, the game, like, tries to have characters, but they're all just, like, random, like, lieutenant meathead that barks orders at you <laughs> over your comm, like, over and over again. And, like, doesn't really... I mean, it, like, kind of personalizes them a little bit, but still, like, it's just, like, not... Like, it just sucks, because it's, like, fun to play in groups, but that's, like, the only thing it has going for it. Like, it's not really that innovative story is not really there the characters are not really there and also something that really bothers me that i totally forgot to talk about speaking of characters is the character creator in this game sucks ass. Oh, it totally sucks it fucking uh, sucks dude it's so bad like if, if okay oh my god it's like what a fucking letdown because the game is literally first of all it's a third person game so you are looking at your character all, all the time the time all the time all the time and yet you get to the character creation screen and there's like some options there. But what pisses me off the most is like, I really liked my character from the division one. Like we joke that he's called agent Asian Corey. Cause I have a male Asian model and he has this cool, like white kind of face paint stuff on his face. And he had like good hair and a good eye color. And he's just like, I just really, cause usually I play as women in games. And for some reason, I don't know what it was about the division, that I just, like, found this male character model, and I was like, wow, this guy looks like a fucking badass, and he just, like, looks really cool. For some reason, that face model is not in the Division 2. So, like, I was cycling through the face models for the for the male characters, and I was like, where is my agent, Asian Corey? Like, there's a couple of, you know, Asian presenting, like, 
variations in, you know, in the character selection screen, but you have like maybe like 20 faces to pick from. Um, I mean, there's like a good number of hair choices, but most, some of them are kind of lame. The hair colors are weird. And like, you don't really have a lot of the, uh, customization options and they have like the face paints and like the scars. But what makes me mad about those is you can only choose one of them. And like some of the face paints, like, would have been cool to have together because some of them are like, you know, it's kind of like a Batman, like black, you know, shadow around the eyes, which I don't have that, but it's kind of a neat thing. And then there's some where it's more like, you know, like jungle war paint where it's like camo paint on the face. And like, I wish that you could have more than one. And I also wish you could have more than one scar because the facial scars are kind of all over the place. And like, there's a big list of like tattoos to pick from and there's arm tattoos, there's leg tattoos and there's neck tattoos. And I like the idea of having tattoos on my characters, but the dumb thing is like you go to the arm tattoo menu and you scroll down all the tattoos and like the game decides which arm it's on and where it's placed. You don't get to like choose the left arm or right arm. You don't get to choose the left leg or right leg. You just like scroll down them and like some are on the right arm, some are on the left arm. Some are like full sleeve tattoos. Some are a tiny shoulder tattoo. Some where it's just the forearm. And I'm like, I, th I mean, I just wish that they would have done it a little bit better. Like, it makes me mad when I think about something like like Saints Row, which, like, Saints Row has, like, probably the best character customization options maybe I've, like, ever experienced in a game. And, you know, it had those good options, like, decades ago, like, Xbox 360 launch title Totally, ago. totally, totally. And then we get a game like The Division, and I just, like, don't, like, you know, it's, like, okay, but... I feel like they could have done way better. And like whenever, when, once you finish uh, customizing your character, you can never change them again, which I mean, I understand, you know, it's probably a nightmare to like reconfigure the player once they get in the game or something. There's gotta be some like coding reason behind it or something. But like, I wish that you could redo some of the stuff on your characters. Like at least let me change the hair every once in a while or like add a new scar or add different face paint. But once you do that, it's over and it's done with. And that's the character you have for the rest of the game. And I just like feel like they really dropped the ball for character customization, especially because it's a third-person shooter. Like, if it were first-person, I wouldn't care as much because I don't have to see the character ever. But it's third-person. I'm literally looking at the character for the entire game. And the customization options are just super lame for what it is. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's where they kind of dropped the ball in... Like, just the customization and just how you engage with those type of systems, like the cosmetic systems or things that kind of let the player feel a little bit more connected and personalized. Um, I mean, I think the character creator fucking sucks dirty <laughs> dog ass, dude. It's so bad. I mean, I don't have a lot of special needs when I um, create a character. I mean, I, I kind of try to make the same character in every game. I try to make, like, a lady... I put her on the heavier side if possible. Not not very often is that possible, but I try to if possible. I try to make her kind of pale with like black lipstick and black fingernails and like the brightest red hair that they have. Couldn't do like any of that stuff. Like <laughs> you get like the, the body type that is just, I mean, it's like the male body type basically with like the, a female head stuck onto it. Like it's not very different. Um, you can't change like the proportions of the person. Uh, all the faces are pretty generic in the middle. Um, none of them are very distinct. And you could not, like, even do, like, a vibrant red hair. Like, there was, like, like an auburn or, like, a dirty auburn or something like that. Or there's, like, a very, like, if you look at the the bright day and you're, the, the sun is shining a certain way, like, maybe it's a red hair. Not really. But it's, like, I wanted something, like, super bright and super red. I mean, like, 
it's a fucking video game. Like, it can be anything you want. And I'm sorry, I live in fucking Seattle. I see people with purple and blue and green hair <laughs> every goddamn day. I know it's possible. So uh, the character creator is really fucking disappointing. Like, I just have, like, random, random generic lady number 27 is my character. Like, and I would not be able to pick her out of a line. I don't feel very attached to her because I don't feel like I was able to really put my mark on her. And I don't feel like she represents me very well in the game. So that's disappointing. The other thing I think is kind of disappointing. Um, just, I mean, kind of about the customization, kind of not, but kind of about how you engage with the game on a personal level. Uh, I, I, I really dislike the bases, like uh, the, the safe houses and especially the White House. I hate the White House, which serves as your base of operations. I mentioned this when we were playing yesterday. I'm going to expand on it a little bit here. Um, you know, you go to the base and there's all these like rooms and hallways and stuff in there and some of it looks like you can interact and some of it you can and it's just background stuff and all the vendors that you need to interact with are kind of like in a weird place and they're not necessarily very visible they don't stand out very much and so i'm walking around and i constantly feel like i don't know where i'm going i don't know like oh well here's the the, the gun vendor but where's the crafting table i don't know how to get there from here i wish it was right here i wish it was more clearly marked and i don't like the way that it works and i think that all of that in this game, like it's like they try to make it look like it's a real environment. Like, what if somebody was actually trying to survive here? Which is great, and I get that they're world building, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's also like a level of playability and UI that you have to hit, and I feel like they fail pretty hard at the UI and just about letting the player know how to interact with the environment and, and being very familiar with the environment. And and further, something that is kind of specific between the the versions of the division. Um, I know you remember this because we talked about it yesterday. But in the first division, when you get to whatever building it is you're in state capital or whatever whatever the fuck it was supposed to be the place was in a shambles and like there was one room that's supposed to be like an infirmary one room was like the ops room one room was like the uh i don't know the the armory or whatever like you had a bunch of rooms they were all like shitty and dirty and no supplies and as you played through the campaign of the first division you would get supplies and you would recruit people and you would find things and so you would come back and it would be like okay well i've got like 27 supplies which room do i want to put these into and, you know, how do I want to build up my base? I mean, eventually you would just have the whole thing maxed out. Like, it didn't matter, really. But it was cool to be able to choose what you wanted to do because each thing gave you a perk. And then you could, like, decide, like, oh, I really I want to have my medical supplies uh, up to speed. So, like, you'd put all your supplies into the medical room. And, like, that room would look better because you made it better. And then the rest of the place would be shabby. So it kind of, like, made me feel like I was really working towards building up my base more. Like, I was more involved in what was going on and I had more ownership of that. Uh, this time around, we were in the White House, random stuff going on. It looks like a mess. You, me, and my wife go do a couple missions, a couple story missions. Uh, nothing really eventful happens. We kill a bunch of guys, but that's about it. We come back, and then it's like a cutscene plays where it's like, oh, yeah, the White House is in much better shape. Thank you for all your hard work. This room is better, and this room is better, and this room is better. And, like, we're, we're rocking and rolling. It's really great, and people feel better. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't fix anything. I didn't donate anything. I didn't. I literally left, I killed a bunch of dudes, and I came back. So it's like, I don't feel as connected to my base, not only because it's confusing, but because I'm not doing anything to it. Like, it's just there, and I just it's just a place that I go. It's not really anything that means anything to me. Like, I want it to be like, like the Normandy in Mass Effect, or like, you know, one of those bases, like a hub where you just build it up over time, where you invest in it, and it feels better, and it feels comfortable, and it feels familiar, and I just don't feel that when I when I go to any of the places here. What do you, what do you feel about that, Corey? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree. Like, I actually had completely forgotten about the fact that you, like, add the points to the base from the first game. But as soon as you were talking about it yesterday when we were playing, I immediately remembered it. Um, and, like, I don't 
I mean, I kind of, I don't know. There's like a piece of me that does miss that. And there's a piece of me that kind of doesn't care, but um, I, it is interesting in the division too, because the fact that the bases just kind of level up on their own just takes even more agency away from the player. And you think that they would want to give you more agency, but whenever you're talking about the white house being a mess, like I, it is like the, Oh my God, that base is so dumb. It's like, there's so many floors, there's so many rooms, there's so many doors, there's, like, a basement, and, like, I, I bet, like, 10% of the White House is actually places you, like, need to go or, like, places where vendors are and stuff to do, and it's, like, really hard to know where you're going or know where all your vendors are, and I feel the same way about, like, the theater whenever we, um, the theater is, like, the next kind of, it's not, like, the big base of operations, but it's, like, the next one you unlock, and, like, you have to, like, go up all these, like, scaffolding stairs to get on the rooftop, and then there's just, like, all these people everywhere and if there's like a little thing in the bottom left corner that tells you like oh you should talk to this person like it's really hard to find that person and nobody really does anything that makes them like stand out to me and everything's just not like laid out in a very i don't know good way and like when you're talking about the normandy i was i didn't really put those two together but like yeah, I mean, the Normandy is, like, super streamlined. I mean, you can get lost in the Normandy if you're an idiot like me, but, like, there's only, like, three floors. Like, there's not a whole lot going on in every floor, and every floor is kind of shaped the same because you're on a ship, and it's all kind of, like, a hallway because the ship is kind of narrow. So you generally know, like, where everyone is, and, you know, you take the elevator between floors, and you know who's on each floor because the elevator panel tells you. And it's just a lot more streamlined. I... Yeah, I don't know why they made the White House as big as it should be. Like, I would... <clears throat> this is going to sound so, like, reductive and video game-y, like, in a sense. But, like, I would much rather have had them just, like, lock a door to the stairs and be like, nope, you can't go upstairs. Because, like, why even have an upstairs area if there's, like, nothing to do up there than, like, walk around and look at all of, like, the dying people that are, like, standing around or, like, the soldiers that are doing nothing. It just, like it doesn't really add anything to the game and it doesn't like, yeah, it makes it feel bigger, but there's nothing to do in the bigger spots. So it's just like, I don't know. It's more space with no value attached to it. Yeah, I agree. It's just, it's confusing. It just makes you waste your time. There's nothing to do there. And it makes you think there's something like, I feel like I'm missing something because why would all these rooms be here if there's nothing to do there? And I search them and I'm like, am I forgetting something? Like what's going on? Nothing there. I mean, maybe maybe vendors will show up as the game goes on. Maybe we'll recruit some more people. I don't know. But right now, it just feels like kind of a mess, and I don't like how it's really laid out. So that's kind of um, a weird complaint, but one that kind of nags at me when we play. Like, it really kind of bothers me. Um, the other thing that kind of bothers me is I'm having a really hard time finding a gun. So this is like a loot-and-shoot game where you shoot guys, get the loot, come back, upgrade your stuff, shoot some more guys, get some more loot. Like, that's the loop. And I just am having a devil of a time finding a gun that I like. I, I found a particular type of rifle that I like. I'm like, okay, this one feels pretty good. Fits my play style. I found one, like, almost right off the bat. Didn't find one, another one, for, like, I mean, it feels like hours. And I just, I'm using that same underpowered one. And the game is even telling me, hey, uh, dude, you're using a gun that's way too low for your level. Please upgrade your gun. And I'm like, well, okay, give me the fucking gun that I want. And, like, the vendors don't sell it. I don't have a way to make it. And I keep waiting for, like, one to drop. And, like, they're just dropping all these other kind of guns that I just don't like to use. And it's like, again, this is, like, another place where, like, kind of agency is taken away. And I realize, you know, you can't always make your character exactly what you want. And part of the game is, like, finding drops and going after things that you, you want. But, I mean, this is pretty basic. I mean, even something like, you know, like Destiny or whatever, like, has a, a couple different stores where you have options. And so you have at least something to work towards. Uh, but I feel like I'm, I'm just, like... 
I don't want to use the newer guns because they don't feel good to use. And I really want this one particular kind of gun and I just can't get it. And it's a little bit frustrating, a little bit unsatisfying because all you're doing is shooting. And if you don't like the gun you're using to shoot or if it's becoming too weak to use, it's a problem. It's a problem, you know? Yeah. I mean, I like I have a couple guns that I like, thank goodness, because I have my, my trusty shotgun and I have my trusty um, like I prefer a semi-automatic rifle rather than a fully automatic or a three-round burst. And I have both of those. But whenever we were playing yesterday... I mean, we played for a couple of hours, roughly, and yeah, we did two story missions, I think, and like a bunch of side missions, and we, I probably picked up in those two, give or take two hours, probably about, I mean, if I had to put a number on it, I would say maybe 20 to 30 guns, and I think one of them was better than what I already had, and like, that's just like not a good ratio and i mean i don't i don't know like i mean i guess i picked up a sniper rifle that's different and i still am holding it but i don't really like using sniper rifles in that game but i just kind of have it in case i ever need it or like the situation calls for it but i just feel like the loot needs to be a little bit better and it also feels incredibly not rewarding whenever you like finish a mission you beat a boss and you get like fucking knee pads from the boss like it just feels really silly. I feel like they have too many kinds of gear and not enough, like, really <clears throat> count or really feel special. Like, oh, I got new gloves. I got a new holster. I got new knee pads that give me plus five damage resistance. And it's like, okay, this doesn't really feel that special. What I want is, like, a rifle that has a bigger magazine or that reloads quicker or that does a lot more damage or something. And getting, like, better guns is just really – it's hard to come by. Like, for a loot and shooter, it's too hard to come by. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I, I noticed um, this a while ago and I mentioned it to my wife, but I was like, hey, you know, it feels like things are dropping a lot less often. It's like I don't want to be showered in gear because there's a fine line like you can get too much gear where you're just constantly changing it. And it feels like the stuff you get is disposable and you don't care about it. Uh, but then you don't want it to be so sporadic that it, like you're you're dying for new gear, like you're bored with your stuff. And that's really one of the key parts of a loot and shoot is like, you know, you got to keep getting this slow feed of stuff to get. And I think, you know, I mean, one of the big problems with the original division, and I think it still holds true here as well, is like maybe because it's got Tom Clancy's name on it or whatever, but the stuff you get is boring, dude. Like you get <laughs> a backpack or new gloves or, I mean, new knee pads. I mean, if they were cool, like if I got a, a knee pad that had like a little screamy face on it or like an explosion, uh, you know, like a comic book explosion or something, I'd be like, oh, that looks neat. You know, I'm going to put that on. That looks like I can customize my style and it's interesting to look at. Like all this stuff looks the same like we're constantly changing gloves and backpacks and knee pads and body armor or whatever and like you just look the same like you just fucking look the same you don't look different enough and they keep missing that doing the fashion aspect is like a big appeal to these games like you want your character to look different you want them to look special you don't want all of your care you don't want to look like your partner like i want all three of us to look wildly different because we all have different tastes and characters we all have different tastes in clothing and costume and customization and it's like we all look like i mean you're a guy and i'm using a girl but other than that we're basically like twinsies and it's like it's kind of fucking boring like i want them to spice it up and again it's a video game <laughs> who cares if i have a big fucking bobblehead so what like it's fun you know like they're missing that element from it it's just it's kind of painful to me like it's kind of painful like how drab they keep it but at the same time I realize that all we're doing is bitching about this game, but it's like we keep playing this game. Like we, we're going to make, you know, we're going to play this game as soon as we get off the podcast. So, like, there's got to be something good about it. 
I challenge you right now, Corey, on the field of battle, say something good about the division. Um, I like whenever somebody is running at me with one of those batons and I switch to my shotgun and blow them away whenever they're at close range. Bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty and cold. I like it. I yes. like the <laughs> I like um like the the tactical feel of shooting the guns feels really good, which is an important thing in the game, especially for my semi-automatic rifle like it feels um it feels heavy and it feels weighty to shoot also the sound design is really impeccable as far as like the guns and the explosions and stuff go and every time gina pulls out her seeking mine and like it rolls toward an enemy and they're totally not suspecting it and it blows them all up it's never not hilarious whenever that happens and i also like the tactical aspects of like um, like, you know, one of us is on the ground and I would go up to the balcony and shoot from above so we could really kind of like focus in on like flanking and, you know, kind of going at things from all different angles rather than just going down one linear path and shooting. Um, I like this is going to be really stupid, but I like the when you double tap X and you roll for, in different directions. I think that's a really like classic move that some video games are not, uh, I don't know, cashing in on. Like some games have a jump button, some have dodge. Uh, the game's dodge button works really well. Um, I don't know. That's a handful of stuff that I like. Those are all good things. I'm glad you said all those things. And I agree with all those things. I do want to call <laughs> special attention to the the, the rolling grenades. You get these little um, hamster ball grenades that kind of seek guys. You were correct. When that shit blows up, that's incredibly satisfying. It's just like, whoa! Like Every time I'm just like, oh my god! Look at that thing! It's like a geyser of fire right over there. Like It's pretty colossal. That's pretty good. Definitely like the... like. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, dude. Like, so we, we bitched a lot, but I think what it gets right is the guns feel good. The moment-to-moment -moment action feels good. Um, you know, we were in a room yesterday where you were, like, on the top floor, and you were kind of guarding, like, um, like the floor below. Gina was down below. She was keeping those guys under control. And then I was going to go down there and help her, but then I saw somebody coming on the balcony, like, to your left, and you didn't see them. So, like, I ran back there and, like, took that guy out before they got to you. And so, like... You know, the situational awareness was pretty high, and it felt satisfying to, like, like I was helping you. You were keeping this thing covered over here. The two of us together were keeping it good for her down below. And so, like, like the moment-to-moment -moment of that is pretty good. I will say that I also really like the drones and stuff. Like, I mentioned the, the machine gun drone and the, the flying drone. I think those are really fun. It's really cool to, like, let a drone go, and it's flying in the air. It's got a little machine gun mounted to it. And you can see some guy from, like, across the room, and you're like, oh, get, go get that fucker. And, like, the, the drone flies over there starts shooting him right in the head from like, you know, he's hiding behind cover, but the drone just goes behind it and gets him. And I mean, that's fucking good times too. Um, and just like the, the, the teamwork of like, Oh, you know, Gina will bust out a heel and we'll like go over there and heal up. And then like, we'll kind of cover each other as guys are coming in and just the, the shouting to each other. Oh, there's somebody over here. There's somebody over here. And like, you know, like the constant being in the shit is pretty entertaining um, on a moment to moment basis. So that's good. Like, I mean, there is good stuff about the division. Like, I think that part is really good. It's And like we have said many times, it's a great group experience. I just wish they would, like, up their game in other parts that I think are really valuable. And, like, if they could do those things, this experience would be, like, so much better. You know, like, I mean, I know Ubisoft is really keen on us getting to the end game. They made a big deal about get to the end game. The end game is going to be cool. I mean, okay, maybe so. But it's got to be interesting enough for me to want to get to the end game. I'm not going to play this game just to get to the end game. I want to play the fucking game. <laughs> so, like, make it make it fun, you know? Like, I wish the bad guys were memorable. I wish the bad guys were exciting. And, you know, I love to hate a good bad guy. I wish that the characters back at base were people that I actually liked and remembered. Like, you know, like, I mean, one of my favorite things playing Mass Effect was, like, um, talking to Joker, who piloted the, the, the Normandy. 
and he would always like have some dumb joke or he'd make some kind of like vaguely sexist comment or something and like he but at least it was like you knew who he was right like you knew you could identify with him or maybe you didn't like him or maybe you did but at least he was a fucking character like i i mean i haven't played mass effect in years and i can still tell you what he looked like and i know his name is joker and he pilots a plane like and tell you all these things about him you know i can tell you about people that are on the ship because they were memorable to me um i can't tell you anything about the division and i'm literally still playing it i just played it yesterday and i can't tell you <laughs> anything about the story so i mean if you looked cooler if the story was cooler if the characters are cooler this would be like the best fucking multiplayer game out there dude like i think it's got a lot going for it but they just they just fall down they just they're not quite there you know and i'm not sure they're going to get there because maybe maybe it is tom clancy that's holding them back maybe they're too beholden to the license you know i don't know yeah, if they would just, like, let the... I mean, it's not like, you know, I like, you're talking about character customization, we're talking about, like, really keeping everything down. I mean, they don't need to, like, crank it up to 15, like Saints Row does, where you're carrying around, like, a giant dildo baseball bat you're, you're you know, you're hitting people with. But, like, I wish they would allow themselves some breathing room to be just, like, a little bit more goofy. Like, this game, it's it's just, like, it takes itself way too seriously. I guess it's, like... A kind of like core of what I I guess maybe we've both been trying to get at here is like, you know, it's it presents this really big story about like, you know, the dollar flu hit New York and now like this game kind of sort of takes place concurrently or like just after the New York situation. It's in DC and like there's kind of a hook in this game about like how like asthma has become deadly because of this flu, which is funny for me because I actually have asthma. So like the idea of asthma being deadly actually does scare me. But then the game like doesn't really go anywhere with it. It's just like the dollar flu hit. Asthma's deadly. There are looters out there. And the I mean the tagline for the game is basically like good guys with guns, the video game, because that's all you're doing. It's like you have the quote unquote bad guys looting and then you're the quote-unquote good guys with your like military armor and shit and all you're doing is just like going out and murdering all of them and then like you're the good guys and it's just like a weird i don't know it just takes itself too seriously it's too like beholden to reality even though you're like flying these drones around that are like autopiloting and shooting people for you and i don't know like i just wish that it would like have more fun like it doesn't have to be so serious it doesn't have to be so fun it doesn't have to be saints row but it doesn't have to be this like you know like clint eastwood like straight laced like army man shooty man's game i mean the 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 game is ridiculous in and of itself already like i wish it would just let itself have a little bit more fun and even like when it thinks it's having fun it's like not like you know the game has different like shirts and pants and outfits and stuff you can wear and it has these like ridiculous like you know stars and stripes like gun paints you can paint your guns and stuff but like yeah it has like the outfits and stuff you can put on but you're wearing all your armor over it anyway so you can't even see the outfits you have on underneath like yeah you might have like a fun like american flag jumpsuit on but you have your bulletproof vest on over it you have your elbow pads you have your gloves over it you have your knee pads over it you have your backpack straps over it so like you don't even see that stuff anyway i wish that they would just give themselves i feel like if they gave themselves permission to be just like a little more loosey-goosey and a little more silly then people would be more interested in it because you get that kind of silliness from something like destiny where you know, the guns are bright purple or neon green and all the characters are doing stupid emotes and dancing together at the base, at the base of operations and stuff, because like, it's just more whimsical, I guess. And the division is just takes itself too seriously. And like, I realize that 
We are shitting all over this game right now. But the second we're done recording this podcast, we're going to go plug in and play it for an hour. And I cannot wait to play more of it. But this game could be so much better than it is. And it's such a fucking shame that they basically just copied and pasted the first one right into the second one and made, like, no improvements on, like, quality of life or character or silliness or customization. And they just, like, cranked it out. And then here's another one. And that's it. Yeah, I just, it's a lot of potential that's really going untapped here. And I think the inability to really commit to it as a player, because it's not giving me what I want. I'm not able to to, to look the way that I want to look. I'm not able to, like, laugh with it. I'm not able to, like you said, get that sense of humor. That is really necessary. And it's not like the whole thing has to be censored. It doesn't have to be jokes. You know, like you said, no dildo bats or anything. But it's like <laughs> a little bit, like a little bit of something funny once in a while. Like you pick up these little audio recordings and they're all like, I mean, maybe there's funny ones at some point, but everyone I've found so far has been really dire. They're all like, Oh, I'm bleeding out. Tell my wife I love her. (laughs) And it's like, okay, it's not, not fun. There's nothing fun about that. Like there's, you know, like it's just all scary and dark and too serious. And it's like, man, just lighten up a little bit. Like even, I I think that um, dead rising is a pretty good example of that. Have you ever played dead rising? Uh, Yeah, I've played, I've sampled all of them. The third one is the only one I've, finished i think okay so like that is definitely on the sillier side but there's definitely a lot of like serious missions you can get into a lot of trouble by being surrounded by zombies and so you know sometimes something heavy happens but there's also like missions that are just fucking goofy like just weird stuff happens and so having a little bit of a break once in a while from this like just po face seriousness all the time is really valuable and i think ubisoft is just missing the boat so hard on that they've got such a good thing going it's, it's like someone cooks this delicious, like, steak, and they just give it to you, and they're like, yeah, steak, have it. And then you're like, yeah, okay, this is real good. I mean, you cooked it really well, and it tastes good, but, like, where's my baked potato? Where's my salad? <laughs> where's my drink? Where's the steak sauce? Where's my cheesecake for dessert? Like, if you served me all these things, I would come to this restaurant all the fucking time. I would never leave. And your steak is great, but, like, it's just steak. And so maybe I would rather have... A, a steak that's cooked less well if I get all the other fixings with it that to me sounds like a better meal and I think that's where Ubisoft is at right now they're just they're missing the other things that let people in they're missing the stuff that keeps people so I mean we're still really really early on there's there's lots of the game left maybe things will change maybe things will well maybe we'll find a goofy zone who knows maybe we'll find a big floppy hat to wear maybe I'll find <laughs> you know the dildo shooting gun who knows we don't know nobody knows who knows what's in there uh, but we shall see. Um, I think I'm probably talked out on it now. You got any last minute things you want to, to say about the division or should we table it for now? I, I was not expecting us to dive this deep on the division. And I think we should probably table this. I mean, <laughs> table it. We've already taken up like a fucking cafeteria links, like table of this discussion, but let's please <laughs> let's, we can move on by all means. All right, let's move on. We'll come back to it at some point, but we should probably play some more before we keep uh, running our mouths off. So uh, moving on from the Division 2, I will take over for a moment here. I just have a couple of quick things to mention. Uh, one game that I came across on the Switch that I really want to give a shout-out to is called Golf Peaks, P-E-A-K-S. Uh, I don't know who makes it I because we always do our research and due diligence before the show. <laughs> Not... Uh, I apologize. I don't know who makes this, but I think it was a Kickstarter and I believe that they had some community involvement with it. It looks like a golf game. It is 100% not a golf game, despite the fact that it's called Golf Peaks. Uh, It's actually a puzzle game. And what it is, is uh, again, I'm playing on the Switch. 
you have a little course of abstract blocks. It looks like um, Qbert a little bit. You remember Qbert from back in the day? You know Qbert? Yes. Or, I mean, okay, uh-huh. okay. Qbert. Um, that kind of like three quarters perspective um, viewpoint. And the ball starts on one end of the course. There's a, a hole on the other, as you would expect from a golf game. But instead of like taking strokes with a club or, you know, doing the regular golf mechanics, you get cards, cards that are listed at the bottom of the screen. And like, it'll say like, putt forward two, or the other one will be like, putt forward one, and one will be like, uh, you know, jump one square and move forward one square. And so you just look at those and you're thinking, okay, so what combination of cards is going to get this ball into this hole, depending on what the course looks like. And it starts out pretty easy, flat surfaces, and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, But as you go on, there's like, you know, the blocks start stacking, and then there's like sand traps, and then there's all sorts of little obstacles that pop up. And so you got to think about, okay, well, not only do I need to get to the hole, but like, how can I navigate all these different obstacles? And, you know, it's never overwhelming. It's always very simple and straightforward. Like, you don't have to look at anything more than what's on your screen. And it's very well presented. It's very elegant. And I love an elegant game. Uh, everything is right there. Uh, there's no menus to go into. There's there's very few buttons. It's all just what you see on the screen is what you get and work with what you have. And so, I mean, even the toughest puzzle by process of elimination, as long as you are paying attention, you will eventually figure out what you need to do because there's only so many options. But I say that as a good thing because I don't like puzzle games where if you don't exactly think the exact way that the developers think, then you're stuck. I mean, I like I like it to be approachable i like it to be completable the feeling of satisfaction when you play a good puzzle game is really good and i like that buzz you get so this is really nice it's a really nice elegant straightforward clean very clean very minimal game about using these particular cards to get a golf ball in a hole and i definitely recommend it i like it a lot i've been playing a couple couple uh puzzles a night before bed and i think it's a great fit like it's a nice chill out game to wind down with very relaxing test your brain a little bit but not too much uh and it's just it's just really really well done it's also a perfect fit for the switch it feels right at home on the switch uh i i think i've seen it on mobile um and it makes sense that it would be on mobile too uh but it feels real good on the switch too i like it a lot i mean i uh i don't know that it's for everybody because you have to be in the market for a chill out puzzle game but if you are do i have the game for you this is a really really wonderful game i like it a lot so okay Uh, thoughts I, i have a question yeah yeah is because you know how I feel about puzzle games, so I have to ask the question: Is there a such thing as a chill out puzzle game? Because anytime I hear puzzle game, I immediately think it's going to be too hard, and I'm going to get frustrated, and I'm not going to want to play it. So the words chill out and puzzle game like don't go hand in hand for me. Is it really that chill out of a puzzle game? Would I be able to play this? I think you would be able to play it. Um, I don't know that if you would like it or not, because I don't know what your particular barrier for entry is on puzzle games but i say it's a chill out game for a couple of reasons um i mean it will mentally challenge you i've gotten stuck maybe a couple times uh, and it takes me a few minutes to work through it but then i work through it so i think so far the difficulty has been very manageable i mean it's not you're not just like cakewalking your way through it but i don't feel i never i have not yet gotten to a puzzle where i'm like this is fucking impossible i have to look up an answer like i've been able to solve them all so far maybe that will change but because you have so few variables like you know the course is what it is you can see the whole course in one go You've only got three or four cards, so there's only three or four possible moves. Um, you know, so, like, there's there's not a lot of variables, so that helps. 
the screen is very clean and there's no like explosions. There's nothing <laughs> distracting you. So I think visually it's a very calming experience. Um, there's no time limits. So you can always take as long as you want. So there's no rush. You can undo any number of moves as many times as you want. Oh, so there is okay. no. Okay. Now I've got a little bit of a boner. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So like, they, they're not punishing you for anything, dude. Like, they want you to play this game. Like, you, you make a move. Okay, that didn't work. No problem. Undo it. No limit. No punishment. No points. There's no score deduction. They don't call you, like, a coward for not doing the, the <laughs> roguelike mode or anything. They're just like, here, there's, we just made this, and we want you to engage with it, and we're going to challenge you a little bit. But you fuck it up, no problem. You just go back. You go back, try it again, try it again. That didn't work. Try it again. Who cares? Just keep trying. And so, in that sense, it's a real mellow, chill-out puzzle game because... I don't feel pressure because nothing bad's going to happen. There's no time limit. I can just look at it for like an hour before I make my first move if I want to. And if I make a mistake, who cares? Push a button, goes right back. You can start completely over. Undo your last move as many times as you want. Doesn't matter. Uh, so, I mean, there will be times when you may have to, you know, work the gray matter a little bit and try to figure out something that's a little tough. Uh, but they don't, they want you to play it. They're not trying to punish you. They're not trying to, you know, some puzzle games I play, where I feel like they're kind of like laughing at me, or I feel like they're taking the piss, as the British would say, where they, <laughs> they, they know something you don't know. And if you can't figure it out, then hardy, har, har, we got you. You know, I feel like that way about some puzzle games. I don't feel that way about this one. I feel like it's all there, and it's really up to me to just use my brain and use the things they've given me and just put it together. And the pieces will eventually fit together. Like, I have not... I've not thrown it down in anger. I've not walked away being mad. I mean, I've, I've had to work a few minutes on a couple, but you get there and then it feels, it feels satisfying. It's all logical. Like there's no tricks to it. There's no tomfoolery going on. And, uh, I appreciate the vibe. Like I really, I think it's a really good, good. And you know, like I said, kind of mellow puzzler. All right. I think it's going to go on my wish list. All right. I think it's a good, I think it's a good one. I would recommend it to anybody who likes a good puzzle game. I think it's pretty cheap. I think, I think I did I buy it or did I get a code? I may have gotten a code, so maybe a disclosure on that one, or maybe I bought it. I can't remember. <laughs> but regardless, either way, it's pretty cheap. I think it's only like five bucks or something. Maybe not even that expensive. But so far, total thumbs up. I love it. This is exactly the kind of thing that I like on the Switch, and I I am adoring it. So that's what I have to say about Golf Peaks. Uh, one more game on my agenda. Unfortunately, will not be as positive as the one I just talked about. It's called Trail Makers. I'm playing it on the Xbox One uh, early access program. They call it like the game preview program, I think. I saw this game at PAX West, I think two years ago. And I was like, oh my God, this game looks fucking amazing. I cannot wait to play this. Um, what I saw at that time was an open world where the developers give you the power to create whatever kind of vehicle that you want. So you can make a car, you can make an airplane, you can make a mech suit, you can make a centipede that has wheels, you can make <laughs> a, you know, a wagon, a big horse, or like whatever you want. Like they were like, make whatever you want, and the point of the game is to like cross the world or you know, like some kind of like worldwide rally race or something like that. And I'm like, oh, this looks amazing. I would love to be able to craft a vehicle that is capable of like getting across a mountain, and then when I get to the bottom of the mountain, maybe I reconfigure it and make something that can cross the planes and then maybe i need to reconfigure it to make a uh, you know a sky vehicle or something so i'm like oh my god love your concept 
Uh, they showed videos of what you could do with the, the building mechanics. I'm like, this looks amazing. I'm so excited. My son's going to love this. Sign me up. So a couple, I mean, at least a year has gone by, if not two years. They sent me a code. Uh, so full disclosure, I got this code from the developer uh, for the Xbox early preview. And I'm just like, man, this is what you guys did with it? Like, I just, uh, like, so disappointing. So what it ended up being, or at least what it is in its current incarnation, is there's a couple of different separate modes. And the one where you're kind of crossing the world does not seem to exist anymore. So what, you, what they ended up doing was making a bunch of, like, little racetracks... And then they, in the beginning of each racetrack, they either let you build whatever car you want, depending on if you have the blocks for it, and you have to like buy some blocks, you win a couple races, buy some blocks, or they'll just give you like a template and you can build that car that they suggest for the race. So I'm like, okay, well, this is not what I was expecting, but that's fine. I'll just, I'll, I'll try this out and we'll see what happens. So, I mean, the building is still okay. They don't give you very much instruction about how some of the more advanced things work, um, but I guess you just experiment. So no problem. Um, but you know, you build a car and then you drive a really simple race around a track and it's just, you're just driving. And I'm like, this is really boring. I'm just driving around a track. And it's one of those games where the AI like never makes mistakes. And so you have to really like find the perfect line and just get through it really in a, it, to me, it was really irritating to play it because I just like had to be perfect, uh, using the stock car, and if I wanted to build my own car, that was actually better because I could build something that was just straight up faster, and that really helped um, alleviate some of the frustration I had. But it's boring. It's just it's you're just driving around a track, and you're winning a couple really simple races with different kinds of cars. Um, it uses real world physics, which I guess is okay. But there was many times when I felt like I was spinning out when I shouldn't be spinning out, or like it was too hard to turn when it shouldn't be that hard to turn. I felt like it just didn't feel good to race. And I'm sure that probably depends on the vehicle, what kind of tires I have, what the, the ground surface is. But, I mean, bottom line was, like, I just wasn't enjoying that mode at all. And that's kind of the main campaign mode. So I'm like, okay, well, what are the other modes? As far as I can tell, they're just kind of, like, creation modes, which are fine, and my son loves them. But you just put a vehicle together and see if it works, and then you're done. Like, you don't really do anything with it. There's nowhere to go. There's no challenges. It's just like you play with the creation tool, which is fun and cool and it's interesting. Um, I wish I had a little bit more help because I find it really hard to make a mech suit and I don't know how to make certain things, but okay, whatever. I just I just don't feel like there's really like a game here. Like I just don't feel like there's much to do. Like you do these simple races, that seems pretty flat and boring. You go to the creation mode. I like putting stuff together, but I got nothing to do with it after I'm done. It's just like you, it's like you put a Lego set together and then you stick it on your shelf. There's nothing really to do with it. So I feel like the gameplay is missing from this game. Like they had a good idea and the mechanics are fine, but I feel like it's only halfway there. So to be fair, this is the early access program. I don't know what else is coming down the pipe. I don't know how far along they think it is. It's certainly not a complete product. So I got to be very clear about that. This is a preview. Uh, I just, I hope they take it further than where they're at right now because, uh, kind of like the division, it feels like a great idea that's kind of going to waste because they're not making the most of it. So I played it for maybe like, I don't know, like two hours, three hours. And I'm like, okay, I am thoroughly bored right now. Like I just don't want to engage with this anymore. So I'm going to put it aside. They've been putting out a couple updates over the last week or two, which is great. Hopefully it will keep going. I don't know what the ultimate goal is, but hopefully it goes somewhere further than where it's at. Because it feels like, like literally just like half a game, like, like, like the actual game game is just not there. So 
kind of disappointing after waiting all this time. I thought it would be a lot further along. I thought it'd be kind of a different thing in practice, but you know, things happen. Things, uh, things happen. And this is where we are. So a little disappointed with trail makers, still a good idea, but maybe not what I want it to be. Um, and golf peaks though. Golf peaks was great. So I love golf <laughs> peaks. Um, so half, half good, half bad this week. Um, any thoughts on trail makers, Corey? Um, not really. It doesn't really sound like something I'd be interested in. Um, so I probably will not partake. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, I think the biggest source of appeal for this are people who just like the sheer joy of tinkering with things. My son really likes the building. Um, but I mean, as far as game goes, I kind of want more. I crave more. So that's it for me. Um, we've got one more game to talk about before we wrap. And uh, folks, this is going to be our spoiler warning. Uh, official giant red flag, flashlight alarm sirens people screaming down the aisles this is the spoiler section we are or actually Corey will be talking about the occupation um he will give a description we talked about it last week in a non-spoiler sense this week we're going to be spoiling the whole thing he's going to talk about the story twists the ending what he thought of it everything um from soup to nuts so if you do not want to be spoiled on the occupation this is your incredibly long, drawn-out, explicit, <laughs> super explicit warning. If you're on a bike, please pull over and stop your podcast recording. If you're in a car, please stop. If you're at home, I don't know, do whatever. Click the mouse, stop the podcast, whatever you want to do. <laughs> this is it. This is it, folks. So with that spoiler warning out of the way, Corey Motley, I turn it over to you. Uh, give us a quick refresher on the occupation and then spoil away, sir. All right, so you're correct. I did talk about the occupation last week a little bit. And basically, this game is a, it's a first-person kind of immersive simulator um, by White Paper Games. And they made Ether One previously, which is a game that I'm a big fan of. And um, they've been developing this for a while. And you play as... It has two... Um, two like main characters you play as and you swap between them during chapters for a part of the game you play as scarlet carson who i think she's the chief operating officer for this like software company in the late 80s in uh the united kingdom somewhere over in europe and the united kingdom area and whenever at the end of the first um chapter because you start as her the company that she works for, a bomb goes off in the off in part of the offices, and that kind of is like what sets in motion the game itself. And it turns out that um, the company is sort of developing some kind of computer software that kind of um, lets the government find like immigrants in the country more easily, or something like that. And the government is also trying to pack pass what they call the Union Act, um, which is like sort of like a deportation of immigrants kind of thing um and forgive me if i'm not super in tune because this game i said this last week and i'll say it again it's very um feel like this game it's either it's one of two things and i feel like i say this a lot on the show some of the themes in the game are either too smart for me or they're just not presented well enough for me to like fully understand what's going on and i think we've got a healthy mix of both of those things going on here um, and then for the other parts of the game, you play as a detective. And I want to apologize, although we recorded last week's show, and to be frank, I have not published it yet, although it is completely done. Um, so if you listen to that show, I actually got the main character's name wrong in that episode. The entire time I called him Mr. Martin, 
He's in fact Mr. Miller because this game has <laughs> really boring character names, so I cannot remember any of them, which is problematic. They're realistic, but it's problematic. Um, his name is Harvey Miller. He is a journalist and, a, and an author, and he is basically cleared to um, basically go to the office or the, the suite, the campus, if you will, where the bombing took place and conduct a series of interviews with people who work there to figure out what happened, to try to get to the bottom of it, because there was an immigrant who was working for the company, and at the beginning of the game, they sort of, like, pin the bombing on him, and you kind of go in there to figure out, okay, did he really do it? Did he not do it? Was he framed? Um, you know, what happened, basically? But... The gameplay gameplay of the game comes down to, um, like, the Scarlet sections are pretty walking simulator-y, where you kind of just only do one thing. It's pretty linear. She kind of talks you through what's going on as you're doing it. And I like that because I like walking sims. But the um, Harvey par parts are kind of like deus exy in a way where... You get to, every time you get to an interview, to a, an office for an interview, you get there about an hour before you need to conduct the interview, an hour before the meeting. And you have that hour to basically roam around the office. And by roam, I mean sneak around because there's areas that are sort of restricted staff-only areas that you can sneak around in. You can rummage through file cabinets. You can log into people's computers. You can print documents. You can, um, the editor for the, for the piece you're writing, her name is Mina. She calls you every once in a while on payphones. Um, she'll page you to let you know she's going to call you, and then you have to make it to a payphone in time for her to call you, or else she'll ask you to call her back. You don't have to take her calls, but it's advised that you do because she gives you new leads. But this kind of sets up the main thing of the game is that whenever you're doing the office snooping section, the game runs in real time. So usually you get to the suites or to the office an hour before the interview starts, and then you have that set hour to basically try to track down as much as you can on the leads that are going on. So for example, whenever you get to the first area, you have a meeting scheduled with, I think her name's Carla, and she's like a PR person for the company. Um, and your, your editor gives you a lead and she's like, well, um, Alex, who is the guy who they say bombed the building, um, she said, okay, Alex, um, like information leaked that he wasn't even at the building the night that it happened, and there's supposed to be phone records somewhere, so try to find those phone records. So, like, that's kind of your first lead. You're, like, trying to snoop around, trying to log into people's computers, looking through file cabinets, trying to find these phone records, and then eventually she'll call and she'll be like, okay, I have another lead. There's this other thing that we think is going on. Will you look for that? And so it's kind of like a big web of you, like, trying to break into people's offices, trying to dodge. There's, like, one security guard and one... Um, janitor that walk around and if they catch you they'll like ask you to leave the office or tell you to go back to like a common area and I've only been caught once I think once or twice so I don't know if you get caught a bunch of times if they like arrest you and it's game over or if you have to like restart the chapter or what happens because um, you know me being sort of like the stealthy game fanatic that I am I'm trying to be very careful about getting caught and you can also like hide under stuff so like if you're in somebody's office usually if like um, Steve is the, the security guard's name. If he, like, sees you, um, you'll hear him out in the hallway, and he'll be like, oh, is somebody in that office? And if you, like, duck and, like, hide under a table, you can usually, like, dodge him, and he'll, like, inspect the room for a little while and then leave. But sometimes if you're, like, he walks in the office and you're right there, if you walk around a corner and he's right there, he'll be like, hey, Harvey, you're not supposed to be here. You need to leave. You need to come with me. Um, and there's no combat. There's no health. There's nothing like that. Um... Am I up to, are you up to speed? Is that, a, that was a really thorough explanation um, before I move on, Brad? 
Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I've, I think I've got a general sense of how it goes. So keep going. Okay, so I beat the game. I was right last week when I talked about this, which again, the show's not up yet. My apologies. Um, I uh, I was like a chapter away from finishing it, and I thought I was close, but I wasn't sure because it's kind of a game where you're not exactly sure when it's going to end. Which I mean, you know, is kind of neither here nor there. Um, and it turns out so. The thing that's kind of fascinating is that you gather the evidence during the stealthy sections, but the game keeps moving even if you don't. So, like, for the first chapter, whenever you're snooping around the first office area, I think there's, like, four leads you can track down. And you have to do kind of a lot of legwork in order to come clean on every one of the leads. Like, for the first one, the one about the phone records, you have to, like... Um, you can, like, log into somebody's computer and, like, read an email, and then the email will say that the file that you need that has the phone records is in this filing cabinet and then you go to the filing cabinet and there's like a note that says it's somewhere else so it's kind of like a big like goose chase kind of not unlike maybe like Shin Mu because that entire game is like a giant investigative goose chase it's like that but like boiled down into a deus ex game um so you end up kind of like going through all these offices and trying to track down these leads and then whenever you conduct the interview it's like a question and answer thing where you have a set amount of questions you can ask but the more leads you find, the more questions you can ask. And so, um, like, I found the phone records on my second playthrough, and Carla had said something like, oh, well, because I asked her a question about, um, you know, he, well, Alex said he wasn't here the night that it happened, and she was like, well, I don't know how you're going to prove that, Mr. Miller. Like, And then you're like, well, fuck you, Carla. Here's the fucking phone records, and you can, like, put them down on the desk, which is kind of like a mic drop moment, like, every time, because the people you're interviewing are never, like, forthcoming about the information, you know, it's almost as if they're trying to cover something up, which is kind of like the big piece of the game here. And then you, like, present the information to them. And to be clear, my first run-through was pretty terrible. I think, you know, over the course of the game, there was maybe, like, I don't know, 10 leads you can track down. I'm pretty sure I cleared, like, two of them because I was being so careful and so slow about the way that I moved around the environment and trying to make sure that I wouldn't get caught that I just, like, didn't really go... I didn't move at a brisk enough pace to, like, track down all the leads because it's actually really hard work. Like, even my second play... Uh, in my second playthrough right now, I'm only about halfway through the game. And in the first investigative section, even on my second playthrough, like, kind of knowing, like, the gist of the game and knowing a little bit of the layout and kind of knowing, like, the rules, I still couldn't track down all the leads in the first section. I think I got three out of four, um... So I was able to, like, ask more questions and to present more evidence and kind of get better answers. But I don't, I cannot say yet what that means for the end of the game. I don't know if you present a certain amount of evidence if you get, like, different ending options or if you unlock, like, different areas to go to or anything like that. So that's kind of still, um, I'm just really not sure about that because I haven't finished my second playthrough. But I am doing better my second time through than I was on my first time through. But what ends up happening is throughout the course of the game, there, there you get shown cutscenes between Scarlet and, uh, and I think it's the CEO of the company. I think his name is Charles. And Scarlet's husband, who was the CFO, Michael, died in the bombing. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So part of the game, whenever you're playing through her section, she's do going through a lot of monologues about like grief and about missing him and about you know she can't believe that he died in the blast. And she actually has some really good writing that sort of like. Um, really contextualizes kind of the grief and the trauma that she's feeling. There's like a section where you're going through the ruins of the of part of the bombing site, 
and she's talking about like how he went to work that morning and he like got out of the shower and left his towel on the floor and she like almost got mad at him for leaving his towel on the floor because he always does it doesn't annoys her or it was like his sweater or something and then she like gets sad about it as she's talking about it and it's really fascinating because like trauma and grief often lives in like really in like the minutiae of the details like that where you become sort of like um numb to a daily routine and then say if you like get a divorce or you break up with your girlfriend or whatever and suddenly that part of the routine is over and then it really like affects you in really strange ways and i thought they really nailed it with some of her monologues about like sort of the grief that she was feeling and having her talk through it but the part um in the cutscenes, it's her and the ceo and they're kind of like trying to decide what they want to do with the company um because the ceo supports the union act which is sort of like trying to deport immigrants and she is opposed to it and it turns out that at the end of the game and this is kind of disappointing um it's kind of one of those games where you like do the whole game then you get to the end and it kind of just like presents this binary choice to you on do you want to side with the ceo or do you want to side with the coo um or whatever scarlet is and i guess you like present whatever evidence you have so on my first playthrough um, I was led to believe that Alex did, was not actually the one that caused the explosion. And in fact, it was Scarlet who caused the explosion. So she was behind it all. And whenever I played through it the second time or so far through the second time, it's like incredibly obvious. Like they make it so clear at the beginning that she's the one that caused it. And because I was trying to get my head around the mechanics of the game, I wasn't paying attention so much to what was going on in the story or what was going on in, like, the fine details of, like, what was actually happening in the first chapter. Because, like, the tutorial is not the place to, like, hide story-sensitive information. Or maybe it is, because maybe they didn't want you to realize what was going on. And if that's the case, then it totally worked. But, like, once I finished the first my first play and realized that Alex um, wasn't the one who caused the explosion, um, as soon as I started the second playthrough and, like, five minutes into the first playthrough or my second playthrough, I was like, oh, of course he didn't cause it because she's like stole his key card and is using it to get into areas of the building. And she like boots up the server, which caused the explosion. But I guess I was just super oblivious to that the first time through because I was trying to like learn the game itself because the game is not very forthcoming about like the boundaries that it presents, which I think is kind of problematic in its favor. And then the other thing that's problematic um, aside from that and aside from the game boiling down to a binary choice at the end is that um, it's kind of got this Hitman-like quality where whenever you start a new game, basically the same thing happens every time. It's kind of like starting a Hitman level. Like you, There's no randomness in a Hitman level whenever you start it. It's the same people in the same places doing the same stuff every time, and then you just have to decide how you want to navigate the circumstances. And the occupation does the same thing, where if you start a new game... As far as I can tell, there's no randomized information. Like, I don't think any of the safe codes, I don't think any of the door codes, I don't think any of the key cards are in random places. I think everything is the exact same. So at that point, if you go in for a second or third playthrough, and the game is like five hours long, so it's not that long. Um, it's basically just comes down to you doing it as fast as you can. And so, like, even whenever on my second playthrough... I only got three of the four leads in the first section. Like, if I played it a third time, I would basically just have to do all the exact same stuff but do it faster, or I would have to know, remember where the stuff was for my first and second playthrough and kind of, like, cut out some of the middleman of the goose chase. 
Um, which I mean, it's like kind of an okay thing, but I don't know if I'm interested in playing the entire game like a third time or even all of the second time just to like do the same stuff I did before, but faster. Um, and then the last thing, I realize I'm really kind of um, soapboxing here. The last thing that kind of is strange for me about this game is that whenever you start the hour-long segments as Harvey, whenever you're snooping around the environment, the game very clearly tells you when you start the chapter, it says, the game is saving right now. The game will save again at the end of this chapter. And so whenever you're playing in that one hour of real time and then like the 15-minute interview after, you the game does not save. It does not autosave. And you cannot manually save it. So you kind of have to have like an hour, maybe an hour and a half of like completely solid free time in order to play this game. And it's possible that you can get through like 50 minutes of the hour long segment and then like get caught in an office. And that's not really going to like super duper like alter the course of the game, at least not that I know of. But if you're kind of trying to do like a 100% stealth completion run like I am, because I'm like crazy about that stuff, there's also a trophy for never getting caught, which I did not get on my first time through. Um, it's possible to get through like almost an hour of gameplay and then get caught if you're not being careful. And then basically you've blown that trophy or you've like blown the, the, the time to, you know, get that back. And you can't save. It's not like Deus Ex where you save and you try something and you save and you try something you're in it for that hour and that's it. Um, and the game keeps moving with you. Rather you, you know, you could stand in front of Carla's office for an hour and then just go in and do the interview and the game really wouldn't say anything otherwise. Or you could spend that hour like trying to dig deep as much as you can, break into the offices, turn breakers on and off, you know, crawl through vents and do all of that. Um, so it's just kind of weird to me that like you can't save your game in the middle of the chapters. I don't know... That doesn't seem like a particularly complicated thing that they could have, like, introduced into the game, but it just bothers me a little bit that you kind of, like, have to have that sheer hour of playtime to set aside in order to do that. And I know that, like, someone like you, I know that you're, like, sometimes on call for your job, you have a son, like, you have things going on in your life, and it would be hard, I imagine... You know, for people who have a lot of commitments and a lot of stuff going on to really just, like, set aside that hour to hour and a half of, like, pure gameplay to be able to play it. Um, and so, like, it makes me kind of wary about why they didn't just let you save the game in the middle of it. Like, it, I'm a little bit confused about that. Or at least offer, like, you know, like a 30-minute save point and then, like, an hour save point or something. You know, it, just, like, a little bit of leeway there. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of in a big, huge, gigantic nutshell, you know, kind of like an overview of the story, what I think about it. I do, like, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm doing the same thing we did for The Division earlier. I do like this game. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. And I think I like Ether One more, um, although they are kind of different games. I just, like, am a little bit disappointed because I wish that... I feel like it feels a little undone for me. Like, it feels... And it is an indie studio. I think, like, seven people work at the studio. So, obviously, it's not, like you know, a 200-person team at EA or something. So, you know, I, you know, you can sort of, like, expect things to feel a little more, like, indie in a sense. But it just feels like it. it's not quite as put together as I wish it were. And I remember thinking the same thing about Ether 1 when I played it, too, because I got through about 70% of Ether 1 when I played it, and then I hit a game-breaking bug in the middle of it and had to start the game completely over again, which was not cool. And I haven't hit anything like that with uh, the occupation, but just like 
knowing that track record and feeling how the game feels like slightly buggy just doesn't give me all the confidence in the world about what I'm playing. But I do like it. I just don't love it. I was expecting to like it a lot more. I feel like the game could do a better job of setting itself up for the player and being more transparent about its rules and its story. And it could maybe use character names that aren't so boring so I could actually remember them whenever I come away from the game. Um, but that's that's it so far, I think. That is a lot. Yeah, um, it was a lot. Sorry. I'm thinking, uh, I'm trying to like, I'm listening to you talk about it. And like, the more I hear about it, I think the less <laughs> I want to play it. Because uh, I don't like time pressure in any game. And so the, I, the thought of like having to get stuff done in a hurry and to do it fast, like fast is one of like, my least favorite things in a game. Like I, I, <laughs> I don't want pressure of any kind. And I just, that seems like a lot. Um, I mean, I mean, listening to the whole thing, it sounds very like kind of just hard to wrap your head around. Like it seems kind of cerebral and really just kind of, I, I was listening for like a hook, you know, like I didn't really get like a hook. Do you feel like that's really kind of what the game is missing? Because, I mean, the scenario, what you described, I mean, you went into the characters a little bit and kind of what you do, but like, it's, I, I didn't get a, at, at no, at no point when I was listening to you, did I, did I feel like, aha, that's why they made this game or like, aha, that's what they were going for. Like, do you feel like it's missing kind of a, like a sharper point or like maybe like a very specific thing? Because it seems kind of just, I don't know, it's kind of nebulous and kind of wandering. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Well, the thing that, uh, I'm actually glad you asked this because I kind of forgot about this, but I feel like the the like hook of the game is hey you have this one hour of real time to do these things and like i like i was telling patrick in the card the other day like i think that's a really cool idea i like the idea because it's rare that time passes in real time in video games and i like the idea of them being like hey you have this hour you better fucking use it wisely or you're going to be screwed because that's kind of what the game is. I just wish that they would, like, impress that upon you a little bit more um, because it does, like, kind of light a fire under my ass. And I'm so used to playing games where I'm not I'm not really, like, tied to any time commitment. So I do think that it's a really cool idea that it has going for it where it's like, hey, this game moves in real time. This game's going to move on even if you don't. So, like, you... Because it, it's very realistic in a sense. And I remember talking last week about the realism with like getting the floppy disk and copying the the document and taking it to the printer and printing it on that computer. Like it's, it's very like, I mean, this honestly could be like one of the most realistic games I've ever played sort of like in that regard of like the boundaries of, of like realism in games. And I think that like that mixed with the, Hey, you have like one hour to do these things kind of is the hook, but I just feel like, I don't know. It seems like that they sat in a board meeting and had like, and they all formulated this idea. And then they were like, yeah, this is a really good idea. Like we should really run with this. But then like what ended up happening is that it's just like not enough. Like I, I, I just, I like it, but I feel like it's just not where I want it to be. Like that idea is not enough. And it, it doesn't help that the story is very, politically themed you know it's about immigrants it's about a bombing it's about a software company that's doing like kind of like not nice things about like searching for immigrants and kind of exposing them to the government so that they can maybe be deported and that's all very topical and relevant but it's also kind of dull and like if you mix that with like 
you know, the game, I don't know. I mean, the game has a sense of urgency, but I feel like it needs to impress that upon you a little bit more than it does. Because if I can, if I remember correctly, the game never like outright tells you like, hey, you have this one hour and you can never get it back. Like it tells you the game is saving now and then an hour it's going to save again or at the end of the chapter it's going to save again. But it, I kind of wish the game would just straight up tell you like, hey, you have this hour to get all your shit done so you better get it done because you're not getting any of this time back and by the way, you can't save. And I feel like it's missing that like, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I should have known that going in, but I didn't because I was trying to go into this game as blind as I possibly could, which maybe was problematic for me in the end. But it just, the game needs like, a slight bit more tutorial and more of an edge on like letting you know what it's doing because I ended up freaking, you know, uh, I was like, I felt like a freaking fish out of water my first playthrough because I was trying to be so careful and trying to be so courteous and trying not to get caught while still grappling with the bounds of the game's realism, which makes you take a lot more time to do all the tasks you're trying to do that. I barely got anything done when I was playing it. And so on my second playthrough, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm really going to like, get in it and like you know really get things done and even on my second playthrough i didn't finish all the leads in the first chapter so i don't know like i i feel like that was the hook but i just don't know if it's enough and i don't think i think asking players to come back to this game i mean i don't think they're outright asking you to play it over and over and over again but if like that's kind of part of it like oh you didn't get everything the first time so come back the second time i don't know if asking players to come back and play like a four to five hour game you know, two or three times to try to 100% it is, like, the best idea? Yeah, I mean, I think certain games can pull it off, but I don't know that this one can do it. I mean, it kind of sounds like, you know, like, once you know what's up, then it's just a matter of, like, collecting stuff or just doing the things in the right order or prioritizing properly. But, I mean, for me, I mean, maybe it's different for other people, but for me, that's not a compelling enough hook. I mean... For something like this, the hook would be for me, I want to know what's going on. And once I know what's going on, then I'm good. And maybe I don't get everything 100% all the way, but it just doesn't seem that compelling to me. I mean, of course, you know, this is maybe more up your alley than my alley, so I'm kind of biased that way. But <laughs> yeah, I'm not super keen on what you're describing so far, especially the point of like having to have an hour just straight through to play those sections. I mean, real life happens. And like, <laughs> I am, I am, I don't know why we're doing this, but it seems like one of the things of the modern era is like just the inability to pause and just I've played so many games lately where like it's connected to a server and you can't pause or there's other people and you can't pause or something's happening and you can't pause or there's bosses and you can't pause. And I'm like, dude, I, I just, no, I guess I can't do that anymore. <laughs> like you've got to like allow for life, you know? So I don't know, just the thought of like not being able to play unless you had a solid hour is kind of like already kind of a big deterrent in and of itself, you know? So I don't know, man. I mean, it seems like there's kind of some good, interesting things but overall i don't know and i'm not not feeling this one too hard yeah i mean it's like we've got a solid like six out of ten here i think no <laughs> we've been hitting that number pretty frequently on this show today so today is six out of ten. and like i want to like this game and i support the developers because they seem like great people i love ether one i just wanted this game to be better than it is unfortunately yeah 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 well you can only do what you can do, and you can play what you can play, and people make what they make, and, you know. I mean, I, honestly, I think half the games that I play are kind of like missed opportunities, or I kind of want them to be more than they are, and I realize making games are really difficult, and they cost money, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's one of the most challenging things, but, you know, as a person who plays and a person who spends your your actual lifespan on some of these, I often think I wish that was better, or I wish that 
had gone a little further. So, oh well. Well, thank you for the full in-depth report. Uh, hopefully, people were not spoiled by that uh, without being wanting to be spoiled. And uh, I think uh, I don't have any more questions. I mean, any final thoughts? Are you good to wrap it up? Um, I don't think I have any final thoughts. I'll try to finish my second playthrough. Um, maybe if I finish more leads, the game will change or it'll be different in the end. Um, I'm not sure if I'll bring those ideas back to the show because it'll be another spoiler section because obviously I'm not going to talk about the end of the game um, again after doing the spoiler section. But I don't know. If anything significant changes from my second playthrough, I, I'll probably come back and talk about it. But if nothing does, then I won't. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, good show. We I didn't think we we're going to have much to talk about, but in true Soviet Games fashion, we ended up filling the time. So I guess uh, good for us, I suppose. And we talked about uh, the division for like three hours. So I know it kind of just all came out in a rush. I guess we had a lot to say about it. So interesting. Because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said that. I would have been like, oh, it's going to be the division part two, and that's it. But boy, we had. We had some feels on that game. So, all right. Uh, that's it for now, folks. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week with another episode, as usual. In the meantime, please remember you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else that you would like to. So, video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com once the show goes up. Uh, we are also on Twitter as a show collectively at So Video Games, but you can reach us individually. Uh, I'm on Twitter, also Instagram. As my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where can people find you on the social media? I am also on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Um, you can follow me, my first and last name as well. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent. And that is it for us this week. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us for yet another episode of So Video Games. And remember, stick around for the banter after the closing music if you are so inclined. Uh, but in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Once again, a lovely Monday. Uh, things are a little unusual today. Gina came home early because uh, they lost internet at her work. <laughs> and her, her entire job is doing stuff online. So she's like, oh, coming home early. No reason for me to sit in this office. So she's uh, kicking it in the back, working remotely. So that's kind of nice to have her home. It's a nice treat. And uh, other than that, we were going to just like chill and I don't know, maybe get some food later. It's been pretty mellow so far today. So I'm down for mellow. How's your day been, dude? Um, it's been fine, just pretty regular. Although, if your wife is home from work right now, I am confused as to why we're recording and not playing The Division right now, Brad. <laughs> I was, well, I, it's funny you say that because one second before we hit record, she's like, oh, we should get some Division in. And I'm like, yeah, sure, as soon as the podcast is over. So, she's already on top of it. She's about it today. So, hell we'll yeah. Go kill some dudes. And uh, I'm sure we will get into that uh, in the actual main part of the show. But what do you got? You know, I got to say, this is the kind of. I'll just do my piece here and then I'll trade it. I'll, I'll trade. I'll, I'll trade it to you. I don't know what you will give me in exchange for giving it to you, but I will. Oh I will say my piece first. I. It's one of those days, I guess. I'm mel too mellow. Too mellow to podcast. I'm nervous. I don't even know what I'm going to say about what you're going to say. Uh, oh, nothing. No, I was going to say I got not a lot of banter, dude, because oh. I've been working. Yeah, this is the so this is the final week. It is the final final week of 
Romeo and Juliet. We were supposed to do it for one month, and then the situation changed. They made it uh, two months, so I had to stay for an extra month that I didn't anticipate. Uh, but it all worked out fine. This is the final week. This Sunday is the final show, and the show is going to be closing. Uh, so after this week, I'm going to get back my life back. But up until then, I've just been I've been really busy, and I don't have a lot of time to like do anything. I have not played a lot of games. Have not watched a lot of TV. Have not like done very much. And as we were getting ready for the show today, I was like, oh my god, I got. I have fuck all for banter. I hope Corey's had a good week because I got like nothing. Uh, but I am looking forward to getting back in the groove of uh, being home and doing laundry and cooking and cleaning. And it's kind of nice, just kind of satisfying to knock a couple things out and feel like you've done something for the day. And then hopefully I'm going to really try hard to get a little more game time in and uh, just kind of get back in the zone. But I mean, honestly, dude, I I was like, I haven't really watched anything that I haven't watched about a million that I haven't talked about a million times. I mean, I, you know, I watched some Orville. I watched some Steven Universe. I watched some. Uh, I don't know, Drunk History or something. We've talked about all those in the show, so I don't want to talk about them again. I, uh, what did I do? Uh, I've done nothing else. Just work and watch a couple shows and go to bed. So I'm kind of tapped out for banter this week, dude. I feel like I'm letting you down. I mean, you got anything that we can talk about? Maybe I can we can play off of some topic that has not occurred to me? Or I don't know, you got a busy week? I'm going to report in on something? <laughs> um, I haven't had a terribly busy week, but I have kind of like a really half-assed topic I was thinking about bringing to the show. I have, I'm hoping that this is like one of those things where I'll start telling a story with no real objective, and then like somewhere down the road you'll be like, oh yeah, and you'll be able to just take the torch and give me some input on your experiences or something. Relay storytelling, I'm all about it. <laughs> well, I kind of want to talk about, um, I don't know, I was thinking about framing this discussion around like consumerism, but I actually don't think that's really the right way to go about it. I could also frame it as like budgeting, but also I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Basically, I'm, I would not call myself irresponsible with money like i'm pretty like all right oh dear with money oh dear where's this going I'm, now i'm getting scared no i just want to talk about like shopping kind of because i so i have whenever i was younger and when i say younger i mean like 16 to maybe like 22 um I didn't realize it at the time, but I owned a lot of clothes for my age and I still own a lot of clothes, but specifically I owned a lot of jeans and I probably had like maybe like 15 pairs of jeans at any given point in my life. And wow, that is a lot of jeans, dude. Yeah. I mean, it didn't help that my brother worked for the gap for a really long time. So I could like get discounts on clothes and sometimes he would like pass on stuff that he bought. And then I would just kind of take it over. Cause my brother were some, me and my brother were similar sizes for a while. And and I always thought it was weird whenever, like, somebody I met would be like, oh, yeah, I have, like, my one pair of jeans. And I'm like, your one pair of jeans? Like, that's your your one pair? Um, but since I have gotten a little bit older, I have kind of, like, reverted into that camp because I, um, I mean, obviously, I got older. I got a little bit fatter. And I grew out, a lot, out of a lot of my clothes that I used to wear whenever I was, like, in high school because, obviously, I'm, like, nowhere near the same size that I was in high school. You didn't get, you didn't get fatter. You just filled out like a grown-ass man. That's all. <laughs> I mean, I guess. That's, that's like, the, the body-positive way to look at it. Um, Absolutely. I'm all about it because I am also quite full myself. <laughs> so I had a kind of a crisis the other day where I've had a pair of jeans that I've owned for probably about – I don't know. I feel like one of those old men, because whenever I used to work at Target, this would always happen where 
I would work in the clothing departments and there would always be that like 65 year old man that would come in and he'd come to the men's department and he'd be like, um, I bought a pair of jeans here like 20 years ago. Do you guys still have them? And I'm like, uh, no, like we turn our jeans around like seasonally. We might have a similar pair, but he'd be like, oh, I have like a pair of Levi, like, I don't know that all the Levi's have numbers, like a Levi, like 217 that I bought like 10 years ago. And I'm like, okay, well, that's probably like not a thing anymore. But I've like kind of turned <laughs> into that guy because, um, Target has a brand. There's like a subset of Levi's called Denizen, D-E-N-I-Z-E-N. Oh, sure. Oh, that sure. Target carries. And for a while, whenever I remember I worked at Target, whenever Denizen rolled out and I was like, oh, these jeans are kind of lame. Like, it's just like a, you know, kind of a cheap, like Walmart ass looking brand. And then I bought a pair a while later, maybe like a year later. And something that was kind of being phased into men's clothing at the time was um, was stretch in men's jeans because women's jeans have been stretchy since the dawn of women's jeans being made. But men's jeans or and pants for the longest time had no stretch. So you put them on and basically like whatever shape they are, that's what shape they are forever. And so like if you gain a little bit of weight or if you like gain muscle or whatever, like basically the jeans don't really like stretch with you. And I had always wondered for the longest time, like why hasn't anybody like put stretch in men's jeans? And so probably about a decade ago, that became like a thing more regularly. So I bought a pair of jeans at Target that I loved that were denizen that kind of stretched like all over. And I tend to wear like, you know, like slim or skinny jeans um, just because I like them to be pretty well fitted. And having them stretchy is like perfect because you just like put them on and they like stretch around you and you button them up and they like stretch around your waist, even if you're gaining a little bit of weight like I have. And um, and so every time they, like, get a hole in them, because that would be, like, my one pair of jeans that I would wear, like, every single day. And, of course, if you wear a pair of jeans, like, every day, eventually they get a hole in them somewhere. Usually for me, it's, like, under the crotch or, like, the seam, like, kind of where, like, my ass is will, like, split somewhere back there. And I bought a pair of pants at Target a while back that are these, like, amazing, like, black sort of, like, riding jeans that have these cool, like, this cool, like, stitching on the front that kind of make them look like motorcycle pants. And I wore them all the fucking time. And they ripped in the ass a few weeks ago. And I had to go buy pants. And I don't, like, want to complain too much about this, but it was kind of an awful experience because, like, it was kind of like a twofold thing where, like, I have to buy pants and I don't. Like, I don't buy pant clothes, or I don't buy pants that often anymore. And because men's clothing has diversified greatly in the past, like, 10 years, um, you know, I go to Target, and they have so many different, like, fits and styles. They have, like, boot cut. They have straight fit. They have slim straight. They have skinny. They have this. They have ones with stretch. They have ones without stretch. They have athletic. So there's, like, so many different kinds. And, like, I, I've, I, like, I've understood what women go through whenever they buy clothes for a long time because I used to work in women's clothing off and on um, whenever I worked at Target. Because with a woman's – with women's clothing, you – the sizes are way stupider. Like, pants is, like, are double zero to, I don't know, like, 26 or whatever, and they go up in even numbers. With men's clothing, it actually makes sense because you have, like, a 30 waist and a 30 length or, like, a 34, 32 or something. Whereas a woman – a woman's pair of pants, it's just, like – a two or a 14. And so, and if you go to like 12 different stores and buy a size 10 jeans and women's, they're going to be all over the place in sizing. So I always feel so bad for women because they have to like put up with that bullshit all the time. 
But I kind of experienced that firsthand the other day because I went to buy jeans at Target and I took like four or five different styles of pants into the dressing room and it was like, you know, they were, I think most of them were like, it was like straight fit or slim straight or skinny. And I took like a variety of sizes. Like I took some 32 30s. I took some 33 30s. I think I took one, like, I think it was just 32 30 and 33 30. And like one of them I tried on and they were like super huge in the waist. And then the other ones I tried on, like I couldn't even button up because they were so like tight on the waist and didn't really have any stretch. And I was like, son of a bitch, like this is so stupid. Like you would think that one size would mean one size, but I, again, I don't want to complain too much because like men have it way easier whenever it comes to stuff like this. And so not only did I have to go clothing shopping, the good news is that I found two pairs of pants that I liked and that I have them. And now I'm going to wear each of them off and on every day. I'm just going to alternate them until they both get holes in them. And then I have to buy new pants and I'm going to come back to the show and tell the story all over again. But the other thing I want to talk about here is, like, budgeting for clothes. Because I, I don't know if you do this, and it doesn't have to be with clothes specifically, but, like, I'm one of those people where if something costs over, like, because I'm such a cheap ass, if something costs over, like, $30, I'm, like, I will put off buying it as long as I possibly can because I'll be, like, oh, it's expensive. Like, I don't really need a pair of pants that bad. Or I'll have, like, a hole in my shoes, and I'll be, like, oh God, but shoes are like $60 and that's just so expensive and I just can't bring myself to spend $60 on a pair of shoes, even though they're going to last me like years probably. And so something that I've been doing lately, and I've done this for the past um, few paychecks because I get paid bi-weekly at my job um, every other week. And I've decided that if I need, or not necessarily need, but if there's something that like I should buy, like a new pair of pants, if I have a hole in my current ones or a new pair of shoes or something, I like I basically just have to buy it the weekend that I get paid because like once I have the money I need to like spend it on something that matters because what I do is I will like scoff at the idea of spending $30 on a pair of pants and I'll be like oh I don't really need pants that bad and then I'll go spend like $16 on a four pack of beer and like and not think anything of it even though that beer will be gone in a weekend and the pants will last me years probably so like i have this weird situation so like a couple weeks ago i bought two new pairs of pants the weekend that just happened i bought a new pair of shoes that just got here today as a matter of fact that i'm really excited about and i'm also mad about the shoes because i tried to go to i bought a pair of vans and i went to like downtown new orleans to go to a vans store to buy them because i was thinking about ordering them online but i was like you know what i would rather just go buy them and have them today so, of course, I go all the way downtown with Patrick to go to this van store. I go in, and they, like, don't have the size I'm after. And I was like, oh, God damn it. And the guy's like, oh, well, I can bring out, like, a nine. And I was like, well, no, I've had vans. I know this isn't going to work. I'll just order them online. So, you know, thanks, thanks, but no thanks. So then I ended up ordering them online anyway. And I'm always faced with, like, decision paralysis, where if I'm looking at shoes online, there's, like, four or five colors I want, and I just, like, can't decide which ones I want. Um, so, like, I don't, like I said, I don't really have, like, a big objective with the story, but I guess if I had a question to pose to you, like, I don't take you as somebody who, like, shops for clothes, like, super often. I actually think we've probably discussed this on the show before, but, like, whenever it comes to clothes shopping or it comes to money, like, uh, how, like, are you similar where, like, you don't want to spend a lot on stuff, but you'll, like, spend, like, a little bit of money a lot of times or spend frivolously, like, on food or on something like that, but if it comes to, like, buying clothes or buying something else, you sort of do the same thing I do where you just like can't bring yourself to spend like $30 on pants or like how do you approach like shopping and getting paid and budgeting in that regard? 
So this is kind of a big question, and there's a lot involved in what you've posed <laughs> to me. So I will try to um, answer all of the various aspects of this. So, like, I mean, what you're describing to me sounds perfectly reasonable and logical because we all see value in different ways. You know, I'm not a clothes horse. Uh, I don't. I mean, to me, I don't know if I've even mentioned this before, but when I go to work, I literally wear the same thing every single day. I have a black shirt and black <laughs> pants. I have multiple multiple black shirts. I have multiple black pants. Like, I am known in Seattle for wearing the same thing every single day. Everybody knows that's my brand. And it's easy because I never have to worry about what I'm wearing, and I wear the same thing. And when, it, when you know, the pants wear out, I just go buy the exact same black pair of pants, and I'm good. Like, I don't need to do that. So, I mean, in that respect, like, that's kind of how I roll. Um... But when I do go shopping for myself, yeah, like I, I have these kind of like mental cutoffs where I'm like, okay, if something costs between zero and this many dollars, then I think that's a good deal. And if it's over this many dollars, then fuck it, it's way too much. I'm never <laughs> going to buy that thing. And it, you know, it really varies, you know, depending on thing to thing. And I think for me, so like, I'll give you a really good example. Like, um, like when I was younger, I was often hungry because either we didn't have food or I didn't have money for food or I was in a place where there's nothing to eat. And so like I get really like apprehensive if I get hungry and I don't I either don't have food on me or there's no place to get food. And it like makes me really nervous. So I end up eating out probably um, when I'm working during the day, you know, probably a couple times a week just because like, you know, I didn't bring something or I just want to eat something. And just being hungry makes me really nervous. <laughs> so um, I will always be like, like for me, in my mind. $10 and below, good deal. If I get something that fills me up and I get a lot of food and I eat it and it's fine, as long as it's not gross. $10 and below, good deal. I'll buy any food for less than $10. $11 and above, fuck that. Complete <laughs> ripoff. I'm not paying that much. Why are they charging so much? I can make this better for myself at home. Fuck you and fuck your restaurant. So, like, that's totally how I roll. It's like, it's just this totally arbitrary limit and there's no sense to it. I mean, I could have a delicious meal for $11 or I could have, like, a really lame meal for, you know, $9, but something about the $10 limit to me feels like that's, that's the good zone to be in, you know? And the same thing for like shoes and clothes or something. I bought some shoes a while ago and I hate shopping. I hate shopping for anything, any clothes, any, I mean, especially, especially pants. I hate shopping for pants. Number one, because nothing ever fits me because my, I guess I have just this weird deformed body where like, I have like I need like a lot of room in the crotch. Not that I'm bragging or anything, but just because like <laughs> just how my hips are set, you know, the way that my legs move. I just need like a little extra room in the crotch because if I don't have the extra room in the crotch, then like they ride up all the time. And it's just super. I mean, you know, as a fellow dude, I'm sure you know how uncomfortable it is if your pants are like riding up in a way that you don't want them to ride up. It's like, you know, you got to you got to stop whatever you're doing. You got to focus on your pants. You got to fix your pants because you can't. You know, something's pinching your balls. You can't just go about your day. You got to, like, fucking fix it, right? So, like, I need all this extra room in the crotch. And, again, not, not a humble brag. I'm just, just speaking here. But, like, my legs are short compared to how much I need for the crotch. And so, like, I always get these pants where, like, the crotch is where I need it to be. But then the legs are, like, a mile long. I've got three feet of, like, pant leg, you know, rolled up at the bottom of my pants. I'm like, I got to, like, get these hemmed or something. I got to fix them because they're way too long. But then when I buy some that are good for my legs, then it's like my balls are fucking like inside my body because they're shoved up so far. So <laughs> really fucking difficult. So I hate shopping for pants. Also, I just don't like taking my pants off in a store. Like it's like a hassle. <laughs> take, take my fucking shoes off. You got to unlace the shoes. You got to tie them up against a waste of fucking time. And then you take the pants off and you're just sitting there in your underwear. And it's just like, it's, ugh, I hate it. I hate it. So I hate doing the pants, but it's like, you know, I'll go to a store and it'll be like, 
$32 for a pair of slacks or something. I'm like, God damn it. These are so expensive. How does anybody ever fucking pay for anything in America? Like, what is even going on? Fucking capitalism and this ruining country and all this shit. But then, you know, it'll be like $22. I'm like, oh, yeah, good deal. I'm going to get like three of these, you know. But like $32, I'm walking out of the store and I want to talk to the manager because I'm fucking mad. You know? It's like the thing that really gets me, though, the thing that really gets me um well okay so like backing up a little bit like budgeting like in in general budgeting is really tough and i had a hard time with it for a long time because my mom and dad didn't know anything about money they had no money sense they were constantly running out of money had no no investments didn't really own anything like just blowing money left and right i mean my mom tried to save a little bit of money but was not really very successful at it but at least it it crossed her mind once in a while my dad was like totally like had no concept of saving money or, or, or spending wisely or anything. Um, so, like, you know, I didn't have that example to follow, and so I was kind of left to my own devices about how I was going to manage my money and what I was going to do and so forth and so on. And I was, you know, I mean, I think I had more of a sense of it than they did, but I still wasn't anywhere near where it needed to be. And so I got into trouble for a while, and then, you know, once I finally got myself out of trouble financially, I started to really look at my budget. And then when I got married um, to Gina, you know, I think she had some... Uh, casual spending as well and with our jobs i mean um interpreting is a job where you are very prone to overspend because of how the job works so like what happens is and just like as a generalization you work a lot and then you are uh, usually an independent contractor or a sole proprietor so you don't have a boss above you so you're responsible for taking out your own taxes which actually takes a lot of discipline uh and so you work a lot you get paid and then when you get you get paid like once every 90 days or sometimes once every two months and so like you 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 starve yourself for like two months like oh i I can't eat out i can't buy anything i can't do anything until i get paid and then when you finally get paid it's like this huge like two months worth of checks that comes in and so you're like oh i'm rich i'm rich and so like (laughs) that kind of a life that kind of financial schedule really it it doesn't matter who you are unless you are like ironclad discipline from the beginning everybody falls into the same trap of like spending too much when they get paid and not putting enough money away for taxes and then when tax time rolls around you're hating yourself because you owe and then you just you just don't think about it and you just think about well i'm just gonna get paid the next time rather than saving the money that i have now it's, oh it's fine i'll just get paid again and it'll be a big check because i won't get paid until like march or something and then i'll be fine and so like it, it really fucks with your head and it took us a long time because gina's an interpreter too to break out of that cycle but we did we had to really like sit down talk about what we wanted to buy what was important to us we had to like write this we have this big whiteboard in our kitchen that tells us about like what we're spending every month like every day or every other day i go through the receipts of like everything that we've spent and i i um i cross-check that with our bank account to make sure that nothing weird's going on and like we talk about like oh, okay well you know we've spent you know hundred dollars this this quarter on eating out that means we've got you know x amount of dollars left and so watch you know eat out if you need to eat out but like be aware of like there's a limit and then if we hit the limit then we got to stop and then you know so there's a lot of discipline involved in it but it really has paid off um and i think that that it, it kind of gives more value to what it is that we do spend money on so like when i do buy a game for example uh i'll try to get on sale i mean it's pretty rare that i buy a game for full-on like 60 bucks like full price but when i do i'm really cognizant of like okay i'm really consciously choosing that this is where I want to spend my money on. And this is something that's going to be worth it to me. And if I get this thing, then I'm not going to buy these other things. And so we're really, really cautious about that. But again, it all comes down to personal values because I know so many people who are like, oh, I'm broke and I don't have money for this. And I'm just, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. 
And then come to find out they've been going to the bar with their friends every night and getting like three and four and five drinks and stuff. And it's like, well, you're not broke. I mean, you <laughs> chose to spend $225 on drinks last night and you're probably going to do it again tonight. So you're not broke. You just simply think that you're quote unquote broke when it comes to like paying your electric bill or like buying something boring, like, you know, you know, gassing up your car or getting some pens for your desk or something. But when it's out with your boys or out with your girls and you're drinking, that's fine. And you got the money for that. So, I mean, for me, I mean, and it's, it's funny because like alcohol to me is something I despise the idea of spending money on. Number one, because I don't drink. And so like it has no value to me whatsoever. But like when I see how much money drinks are, maybe they're cheaper like in Louisiana. I don't know what, what they are, but like it's super common to go to a bar out here. A drink is like 10 bucks, 12 bucks, 15 bucks, like easy. It's like any drink. And so whenever people are like, oh, we're going to get drinks. And I'm like, I'm not. You can get whatever drink you want. I'm having water. Fuck you. Like, you know, and it's just, that's the thing that kind of gets on my skin is like paying for alcohol. But uh, pants also gets me. Shoes also get I mean, anything, anything gets me. The only thing I like to spend money on is food that's less than $10 when I'm hungry. <laughs> and games that are on sale on the Nintendo eShop that are usually like 99 cents. And I'll buy those like all day long. Anything else? I'm like, no, I'm not paying it. Not paying it. So can you relate? Can you relate? Uh, I mean, partially. I have the problem where I spend money on alcohol. You're the booze guy. Yeah. I know you're the booze guy. Um, and I try to chalk that up a little bit to the fact that, like, I didn't start drinking until I was, like, 23. So, like, all the years when I, you know, because, like, people nowadays, I mean, I guess people start drinking, like, pretty young. Like, I knew people in high school that were, like, 15 and were drinking. And so, like, all those years from, like, 15 to, like, 21, or I guess all the way up to 23, that, like, I wasn't spending money on alcohol. I could just, like, pretend that, oh, like, now it's my time to make up all that lost time and spend extra money on alcohol, which is, a, it's not a real, a real excuse. It's actually a terrible thing to say, but that's just what I tell myself to make myself feel better. Um, but there's, like, sort of this idea of, like, you know, spending, and I'm not saying alcohol is this, but, like, spending money on, like, luxury items, and I don't know, I sort of feel like, or, like, spending money on something because there's, like, the experience of having it, not just, like, a utilitarian thing that you buy, and I sort of feel like alcohol can sometimes fall into that. I mean, that's why you have, like, you know, bottles of whiskey that are, like, $500 that have been aged for, you know, 55 years or whatever, which I would never, just to be clear, I would never, ever, ever spend that money on uh, on that kind of alcohol. Usually if I buy whiskey, I try to go to Trader Joe's because they have whiskey for $15, and it is good, and that is perfect to get me by. Um, but, uh, I mean, and also, like, whenever I talk about, um, you know, buying, like, makeup and skincare, I mean, there's kind of, like, an idea of... I mean, obviously, makeup is not, like, a necessity at all, and I don't wear makeup every day, but there's, like, an idea of, like, having it for, like, the experience of, like, owning it and putting it on and, like, the ritual kind of surrounding it. And I would say the same thing about skincare, but skincare is actually, like, it's, like, scientific. Like, you know, sort of, like, skincare for your face is kind of, like, going to the gym for your body. Like, you know, it takes... You, like, have to put money and you have to put work and you have to research it and you have to, like, use it for a long amount of time in order for, like, the benefits to, you know, set in because skincare isn't something where you, like, put an eye cream on for a week and then suddenly your eyes are, like, you know, you have no more dark circles or anything. Like, you have to use it for a long time. So, like, ordinarily I would lump skincare into that sort of, like, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of a ritual, but, I mean, on the flip side, like, you have cheap stuff then you have expensive stuff. Like, you can obviously buy, like a moisturizer that's $3 a Target, or you can go to Sephora and buy a moisturizer that's like $65, you know, and it probably has less in the container or something. So 
I don't, it just depends on how how luxurious you want to get with like your cosmetics and skincare and everything. Um, no, dude, I totally, I totally hear you. Like, there are certain things where I think, okay, so we're only alive once. Uh, I don't believe like in heaven or the afterlife or any of that shit. So it's like we're here once. Enjoy your time. So if you want to have the slice of bacon, have the slice of bacon. If you want to, <laughs> you know, don't eat yourself in a grave or you know, don't go crazy. But you know, don't. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like one of those guys is like denies myself everything because it's too much money or anything. And I hear what you're saying. Like certain <laughs> things are worth spending the money on when when you know that you like them. They make you feel good, and it kind of like just increases your quality of life by one notch like that's totally justified i was as you were telling that story about that i was you know about the sephora and stuff I'm like oh you know actually that's true i do you're gonna think i'm like the stupidest guy on earth for saying this but like i have like two things that i just like i'm very picky about so like i wear glasses as you know and i need my glasses to be like super clean uh when i wear them i cannot stand like streaks on my glasses it's really distracting bothers me if i go somewhere like all i can think about is like seeing the smudge on my glasses and i can't <laughs> can't get it off so I, I need my glasses to be really clean right and so like uh i find that like only name brand windex is the only thing that i will use and i know it's like a buck or two more uh still you know a, a low price item but still it's like you know there's all sorts of cheap you know whatever grocery store their in-house brand or the target brand or whatever that you can get for like 99 cents or something like that but i'm like no like i will spend extra on <laughs> specifically windex because i know that it gets my glasses cleaner and having clean glasses makes my life better and it makes me like a better person and i feel better and more relaxed similarly this but this is this is really the killer right here this is the killer <laughs> i'm very particular and this is we're going deep we're going deep in banter we're, we're learning all sorts of things about each other we're going to be very close our listeners are going to know us so well. Well, and here uh, we thought we were going to have nothing to talk about, and look where we're going now. I know, dude. We just, you can't <laughs> shut us up. So it's classic, classic banter. Here's the thing, though. The thing that I absolutely 100% will not budge on, I don't care how much it costs, I will pay whatever, whatever the price is, because I need to have clean ears, and I like the way that cotton is wrapped around Q-tips, specifically name-brand Q-tips. <laughs> Something about the way they wrap their cotton on when you put it in your ear... Nothing is fucking worse than putting a Q-tip in your ear or a cheaper, like, off-brand Q-tip. You put that thing in your ear, and either the, the stick is too po pokey or it's too flexible or the cotton, like, balloons up in your ear and it just fills your ear canal and just, like, spirals all over the place and you can't really, like, clean your ear. You must have actual name-brand Q-tips. And it doesn't matter to me what the cost is, but I will buy the biggest fucking box. I'll get, like, the 950-pack. And I will buy that one for whatever. I don't care if it's not on sale. I will buy it. And I don't need a coupon or anything. I will just get that thing. And I'm like, yes, this is the thing that I need to live my life in the way that God intended it. And we're just moving forward with the Q-tip. So I hear you about the, the small luxuries that make your life better. And I totally agree. I do not buy makeup, but I do buy fancy Q-tips. And I do buy the name brand Windex. So small things. It can be small things. But, you know, take your comforts where you find them, right? I thought for sure when you started both of those stories, especially with the glasses ones, that you were going to be like, okay, I have to have like this certain kind of glasses. They have to be clean. They have to be streak-free. I thought you were leading up to saying that you were going to say something like, so every time I buy new glasses, I spend an extra like $300 to get these special lenses, you know, or like these protective lenses or whatever. But no, you spend the extra like two dollars to get windex <laughs> instead of instead of like the the two dollar like best choice like off-brand windex and then you started talking about your ears i didn't really know where you were going with the ear thing and then you started talking about q-tips which are like five dollars at the store <laughs> i'm worth it though dude i'm worth it like i don't regret that at all 
It may be a couple bucks extra, but it's I, I don't feel guilty. Oh my god! One of these days, <laughs> maybe like the next time I go to Sephora or Ulta or something, I'll see if there's like because you know it's going to be out there. There's going to be like a luxury brand of cotton buds or something that'll be like Q-tips, but they'll be like seventy-five dollars for a box of fifty or something. And maybe I'll I'll see if that exists and either send you a picture or if I'm feeling really nice, I'll like buy a, a travel size kit and ship it to you. I will try. I'm like, I'm open to trying them. But I got to say, I have not found a cotton swab ear canal cleaner better. And I've tried a lot, dude. I've tried a lot. I, you know, but I'll tell you what, man, I'm so I'm so firm on this. And if I buy a full box of like an off brand and I put them in my ear and like it doesn't feel right, I will throw that fucking box away. I will not use them up first. I'd be like, fuck it. Set them on fire and throw them away. I do not tolerate that. So if you find a good one, I'll try it. But I don't know that you're going to replace my favorite, man. I don't know. This is the most absurd discussion. This is what happens when it's a slow banter week, folks. <laughs> we talk about buying pants and how annoying it is and spending, uh, overspending for, you know, spending like $10 on a thousand Q-tip box. So worth it, though. So worth it. We cannot be uh, I got... <laughs> I have literally nothing else to talk about unless you got something else. Uh, I mean, that kind of led us down a deep rabbit hole there. You got something else you want to maybe... You want to maybe see sticks to the wall? Um, I don't really think so. I mean, I haven't done a whole lot of exciting stuff over the past week. We talked about Captain Marvel last week. Um, I shot cosplay at a Comic-Con a few weeks ago, which, I mean, there's not really a story there other than it was fun, and I got to hang out with people that I don't get to see often, and I don't know. I have some, like tea to spill but it cannot be spilled while we're recording on the show to tell you so okay so i'll tell you when we stop okay yeah sounds good sounds good (laughs) but i think Uh, that's it yeah i got nothing else man it's been kind of a slow week that's all right i mean i think once i actually get some fucking free time i'll actually do something that i can actually talk about but i mean i think i feel like all the topics i could talk about i've just like i have gone over so many times that i would feel bad to talk about it one more time so uh, let's just let's wrap it now. Let's just talk about games, and we'll just we'll see where that takes us. How about that? Sounds like a plan to me. All right, let's talk about some games. <laughs> <laughs>